Do you feel that you're modeling appropriate and positive behavior for today's youth? I feel like we just figured out who or what killed Biggie and Tupac. Gary, Gary, Gary. Gary Hoffman. He's like a little man. Hi, guys. <laughs> I'm Shannon. Shannon Farron. I like that she's a fighter and that she doesn't give up. Who are you? Gary and Shannon. You can talk. Uh, goo goo gaga. No, you can really talk. Now let's get this nightmare started. Should we say John and Ken show? This is John and Ken show. John and Ken show. John Cobalt, Ken Champagne. Played by AM 640. Played by today, Gary and Shannon. You hear us uh, usually before John and Ken. Do we get to put heads on a stick? Uh, I don't know if anybody actually asked them. Deborah, I mean, did you keep the keys to all of the, the fun stuff? Like I the, did, and the, I, I, oh, didn't you say we were going to do a naked desk? Yes. Uh, hopefully. Oh, and, yeah. and isn't there some sort of lake of fire yes. that goes on? Yeah. So you've got access to the lake and the fire? Yes, it's Friday. I got all that. What about, what's her name? Is she still around? Uh, Svetlana? Oh, yes, she is. Oh, thank God. Oh, yep. Yep, Man. she hasn't gone anywhere. I feel like this is going to be a cushy job. This is going to be fun. We don't even have to come up with our own desks. We just use all of theirs. I love Svetlana. Oh, boy. This um, sturdy woman. There's a, a bunch going on today. We're going to try to get all yes. of it into the four hours. <laughs> <laughs> to, the, uh, to the four hours of what is normally the John and Ken show on this Friday, uh, including the story about Las Vegas. The sheriff has come out with what he's saying is the final report on that Las Vegas massacre from October of last year. And... It's very unsatisfying. No motive. H wholly unsatisfying. They talked to the girlfriend of the shooter, and she says he did not talk much about politics. She expressed a dislike for President Obama, but <laughs> you've got half of America that did yeah, that as well. There wasn't anything. So um, there's also the story about the Turpins in court. They're back in court today. Uh, Chris Ancarlo is there, so we'll we'll check in with him next hour and see what's going on in terms of what it is that we saw from them in court today. <laughs> Let's start with this Iowa story. Yeah, this is the disappearance of that college sophomore, Molly Tibbetts. She went out for a jog and never came back. ABC News' Mark Remillard has been following the story for us there and joins us now with the very latest. Mark. Hey, uh, guys, I, I wish I had more to tell you. The uh, authorities in Iowa today held a press conference and really have continued to not really divulge any new information about the investigation. Uh, they were asked about everything from whether they had any suspects, persons of interest, uh, how many interviews they've conducted, uh, all the way down to whether they even have any solid leads. And, and a, basically, the spokesman for the Department of Public Safety would just say that we're not going to comment on that, in, uh, that, that aspect of the investigation. Uh, doesn't want to characterize whether they've had solid leads or not, uh, but basically says they've had hundreds of tips come in, uh, and they're trying to track down every single one of them, and their goal is to find uh, this 20-year-old student, Molly Tibbs, uh, Molly Tibbs, excuse me, and, uh, and basically that they continue to ask for the public's help, and that if you have any knowledge of where she might be, if you think you see her, to call that into your local police, and that's pretty much where we are, and sadly, this is now two weeks, more than two weeks she's, since she's disappeared. Kind of an awkward question I saw for her father, who was at the podium of a news conference and was asked something to the effect of, the police aren't sharing information with you. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and he had to answer that. 
Yeah, exactly. He said that uh, very little has been even divulged to them uh, and, and the family. Uh, he didn't seem to be upset by that, though. He seemed to say that uh, he, he seemed to say that he has essentially a lot of faith in the investigation and what they're and the way it's being handled. And uh, he's very grateful for the investigative work that's been going on, the effort that they've put in law enforcement. The uh, what he says he is extremely grateful for uh, the media coverage and the sharing of this story, essentially all the way to the donations that they've received. And, and, and that is an incredible part of this story, too. Earlier this week, they set up a fund, uh, a rescue fund, essentially, uh, for people who call in tips, and that if that tip helps lead to Molly's safe return, uh, there would be some reward money. Earlier in this week, that fund had about $2,000 in it. Since uh, since this story uh, has gotten a lot more attention over the recent days, it's now over $200,000. And so, obviously, the family is extremely grateful to businesses and people who have uh, uh, who have lent some money to try and see if they can get some more information about where Molly is. Uh, there's one guy I saw interviewed, uh, a local hog farmer, who said or admitted, whatever you want to say, that he had been interviewed for a couple of hours by investigators. Do we know anything about that guy? Uh, he, police were asked about that today. Uh, so he's a deep, deep River resident. Uh, his name is Wayne Cheney, and uh, he's told local media that he was uh, questioned by police for about two hours, and uh, he he lives within walking distance of of a farm that was reportedly searched. But again, when it comes down to anything on the record from law enforcement, they really haven't said much. They were asked, uh, "Is he a suspect?" Uh, they were even asked. Did you search the farm uh, nearby where he lives? And police have not said uh, – they, they basically said we're not going to comment on that. What we do know about this guy is that he's got two guilty pleas from past years of stalking. So I think that's part of the reason that people are particularly interested in this guy. But uh, he's told the media that he was questioned, and that's all he knows. This is a town of 1,500. I imagine it is completely overrun with two things. Number one, investigators from the state and from the feds. And number two, reporters from all over the country. Yeah, absolutely. This is definitely one of those towns, uh, one of those stories that you see like an inundation of, of, you know, this attention that this story has brought. And as you mentioned there, from reporters who are covering this story, and as 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 the family and as law enforcement has said, they're, they're grateful for that. Uh, sometimes when that happens, uh, people find it uh, you know, somewhat annoying to have so much media in the area or so many investigators. But uh, in this case, certainly when it comes to getting the word out about this, uh, about Molly, where she might be, what her description is, uh, where people can donate, where they can submit tips. Certainly, they're quite happy about the fact that this is getting so much attention. Uh, but it is a very small town, 1,500 people, as you said. The house where she uh, was reportedly dog-sitting for her boyfriend uh, the night she disappeared, uh, surrounded by cornfields with uh, you know high stocks of corn that uh, this time of year uh, completely surround the area. Uh, and so this is, a, this is a, uh, a very small town that she disappeared from. And uh, that just adds to the mystery of this. And as her boyfriend said, he said he doesn't. He just assumes that uh, if she made it back to the house after the jog, that uh, she wouldn't have locked the doors because that's not what you do in Brooklyn, Iowa. It's just such a small town. Hmm. Mark Remillard, thanks so much. Appreciate your time. Thank you. Mark mentioned the boyfriend there. This is a guy by the name of Dalton Jack. They were together three years, high school sweethearts, and she was staying with him for the summer while she was away from from school. He was reportedly 100 miles away at a construction job when she disappeared. He did an interview with Good Morning America, and we want to play that for you when we come back. Can you can 
Can I still share my uncomfortability with the boyfriend in this case? I He's been cleared as a suspect, and that's important to say because he says it. But but everybody's been cleared as a suspect. The investigator stood there at the podium today and said, we don't have any suspects. I don't want to talk about suspects if we have them or if we don't have them. It was one of those very vague statements, which means everyone's a suspect. And I look at footage of this boyfriend and I hear him speak and I saw him sit side by side with the father and his breathing was weird mm-hmm. sitting next to her father. <laughs> I just, already, I mean, I'm all in. I'm guy. all in on the boyfriend. Uh, we have that. And also the, maybe not an answer to the question, but at least maybe an explanation to uh, that leads to the question: Why this case? Why is this case getting as much publicity? Because she's a pretty white is? girl. That's more what happens. That. I think it's more than that. Uh, well, and the boyfriend. Well, there's that, but there's even more than that too. We'll talk about that coming up. Gary and Shannon in for John and Ken today. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM six forty. Oops, it's the John and Ken show. Right in four. Yes. We are in for John and My Ken today. My apologies. Follow us on social media if you must or if you will, if you please. At Gary and Shannon, Twitter. Facebook, Instagram. In fact, on Instagram today, we have our 40-yard dash from yesterday. We were out at Chargers training camp. Yeah, we're buffoons. Not to tell you who won. Speaking of buffoons, Mm -hmm. L.A. County Supervisor Mark Ridley-Thomas, so full of himself, right? This is the guy that spent all of that special slush fund money to decorate his office. And whenever he talks, he just thinks the world of his words, like he's some great philosopher or something. He loves Mark Ridley Thomas. Wait till you hear about his son and what his son has been up to. Almost as insufferable as dad. And we'll tell you all about that coming up later this hour. Telling you about Molly Tibbetts. This is the University of Iowa student who's been missing since July 18th. And a couple of strange things about this story. For example, I saw this today that they were holding yet another news conference. Really to say nothing new other than to continue to push the story out there. Make sure that they get more tweets, more Instagram posts, more media coverage, et cetera, so they get Molly's face out there. Because they're operating on the hope, it appears, they're operating on the hope that somebody will remember even just a sliver of information that could be the key that leads them to wherever Molly is. You were wondering why this case has captured so much attention, and I do believe it's because she's pretty and white, but I also believe it's because of a suspicious boyfriend. And the third piece of that puzzle is the town, the town of 1500. You can't go to the bathroom in a town of 1500 without people knowing about it. It's just one of those small towns where everyone is in everyone's business. So the idea that a young girl like this would go missing and nobody would know where she is or where she went is bizarre. It's especially if she's new in town or if you know she's Dalton Jack's girlfriend and he goes to work every day in Dubuque 100 miles away. Like, there's going to be, people are going to be even protective, I suppose, of somebody like that in a town like that. I saw this story that uh, that she is obviously missing in the state of Iowa. There are, or I should say 40, there were 48 people who vanished in Iowa just last month, just like she did. 48 of them. Now, 40 had gone missing in Iowa in 10 days, and a bunch of people on social media start losing their minds. There are thousands of people who go missing every year in this country, thousands. And there are only maybe a couple of dozen that rise to the top in terms of 
garnering media coverage. Well, there also is a, a section of that number who are people who want to go missing. Exactly. Okay, so last year alone, according to the Missing Person Information Clearinghouse, about 12 people a day. They they specify young people, but we'll just say people. 12 people a day go missing. So last year, 4,300 people went missing. The vast majority of those people turn up within 24, 48 hours because they're either runaways, even if they're missing. Very few actual stranger abductions. Usually it's a family custody thing or a friend abduction or just somebody trying to get out, get away from whatever their life they're trying to run away from, but they're located relatively quickly. So this is because she's white. It is because she's pretty, but it's also because it's gone on for so long with zero information about what happened to her, at least according to what the police have told us so far. We know they're going through the information from her Fitbit, so they know where she jogged that night, the last night that she had been seen. And they also know uh, that she sent a Snapchat message to her boyfriend at one point. Just They're just kind of chit-chatting back and forth. And then the last information I saw was that there was a red shirt, a red T-shirt that had been found. At the hog farm. Near the hog farm, yeah. where And it was found by a guy mowing the lawn or mowing weeds or something like that. Now, they're not saying that that was her shirt. They haven't said definitively one way or the other if it was her shirt. But the daycare she worked for said it was very common for for employees to wear red shirts as part of a uniform. So at that point, we have no idea. I mean, Mark Remillard mentioned that one guy that had been inter- interviewed, Wayne Cheney, living near the search area. He had a couple of years probation uh, sentence for a felony stalking charge from several weeks ago, but he said he knew nothing about what was been, what's been going on. So... The father, I want to play for you just quickly. This is Molly's dad talking about why they continue to keep this in the media if they don't have any information. Before you do that, I found the quote from one of the investigators that he he said today, today at a press briefing. We continue to look at all possibilities. I'm not in a position right now to say we have suspects. We don't have suspects, persons of interest, or anything else. I don't I don't believe that the boyfriend is standing right behind him yeah, as he's saying these words. And visually, when you look at him, he's doing those tell signs, you know, the looking to the side, looking down. Maybe it's nothing, but maybe it's everything. And maybe they keep trotting him out to get people to look at this information, yeah. body language experts or whatever. Maybe they haven't named him as a suspect to see what he's going to do on his phone. Who's he going to communicate with? Was there anybody else involved? I would do that. Absolutely. If I'm the Iowa Department of Public Safety and I get up there and start talking, I say, to, uh, hey, uh, Agent Carter, what can I do? Do me a favor. Don't wear your badge or anything like that. I just want you to stand behind the TV cameras when we do this news conference. And the only thing I want you to do is keep your eyes on that boyfriend. I remember being at the first press conference when Lacey Peterson was missing. And I remember when Scott Peterson walked into the room and I felt like in my in my gut felt like he was putting on the act of this tortured husband whose wife is missing. It just seemed like he was acting. Yeah. That's- and there was a weird energy about him. This kid is not acting at all. And I don't know. He's just like 
almost like no emotion whatsoever. Well, we'll play the dad when we come back. And that kid, the boyfriend, his interview with Good Morning America, that's coming up as well. Gary and Shannon in for John and Ken today. Gary and John, John and John Ken, and Ken show. show. Do I need to hold a sign get, up for you? Yeah, I'm handled. John and Ken show. <laughs> I need to write it down. Gary and Shannon filling in for John and Ken. Hey, Ohio State coach Urban Meyer has released a statement, oh, the boy. first since he was put on administrative leave by Ohio State on Wednesday. Of course, this stems from him having an assistant coach who may have been beating his wife. There are pictures to prove it from her. There are text messages knowing that Urban Meyer's wife knew about it. And the problem with this is that Title IX rules say you need to report that. Urban Meyer's wife works for the university. Obviously, Urban Meyer works for the university, yet it was not reported. Today, Urban Meyer put out a statement saying he followed proper reporting protocols regarding domestic violence allegations in 2015. That doesn't mean he told anybody. Well, that would be the protocol, wouldn't it? You would think. Uh, I, I the hate- problem that he's going to run into is when they had their media luncheon. He lied. He lied. He said, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm paraphrasing, but I don't know what you're talking about. I've never heard a report of that. Yeah. I think what the, the statement also included um, that he believed that he failed when he didn't address that at Big Ten Media Day. Yes. So, uh, also, next hour, we're going to get more into this story, but the uh, the sheriff in Vegas has come out with a report on the shooting, and it's, it's just really unsatisfying because it doesn't give us any sort of a motive, any sort of a clue as to why the guy, why Stephen Paddock did that. But we'll talk more about that with Alex Stone. Right now, we are talking about the disappearance of 20-year-old Molly Tibbetts. Molly is a sophomore at the University of Iowa. She went for a jog July 18th that evening, and she never returned. Her boyfriend, Dalton Jack, was said to be about 100 miles away at a construction job. She was staying with Dalton for the summer while away from school. He has done a number of interviews. He was most recently on Good Morning America. Her father, as well, has done a number of interviews. This is a one from uh, from Dad. This was with the uh, Des Moines Register about why it is they continue to talk so much about this, why they're so public with their search for Molly. The only reason to do these interviews is to keep the story in the public conscience so that somebody will come forward. Um, we're convinced that in a community like Brooklyn, somebody knows something, they saw something, they saw something out of place, even the most trivial thing. Side note, the guy breathing into the microphone is the boyfriend. Yes. He's, he's, he's sitting, sitting next to he's dad. He's sitting right next to dad and his breathing, and this is what I was talking about at the start of the show, his breathing is off. He is not breathing like somebody <laughs> whose nervous system is functioning correctly. Right. And they're reluctant to come forward because it is trivial, but I think there's also a possibility that someone is suspicious of a loved one, someone in their family or a friend that isn't acting quite right, or they suspect that Listen had to something the to do with this, but they're reluctant to come forward. But what I would say to them is if they have nothing to hide, they have nothing to fear, and let the authorities sort out what's right and wrong, because this is about Molly. And so if someone out there is holding Molly and they're in over their head and they've made a horrible mistake, you can end it now 
before it goes any further. The one thing I would say is that I credit this family for keeping this hope alive that Molly is still alive. Yeah, mom I, is mom has done a number of interviews where she believes that Molly is being held captive. Yeah, but and, as a and parent talks, and talks to, I mean, the way she phrases it is she's talking to the abductors like, "Let yeah. Molly go." And the uh, the boyfriend's brother was due to be married this weekend mm-hmm. in the Dominican, I think, and. There was an interview that the mother did where she says, well, I was just looking at August 2nd as the deadline. You know, Molly's going to come home and we're all going to go to the Dominican Republic and we're going to have this wedding and everyone's going to have a good time. It's like, you know, it's indicative of what a parent goes through where you're not thinking clearly. Logic is gone. You're yeah. out the window at that point. I mean, just the, the, the and trauma And I think you have to that. think that way. You have to think that the kid is still alive and is going to come home. So the boyfriend, and this is the weird, this is the thing. We know that the guy has been cleared by police, at least officially, because they've said they don't have suspects and they don't not have suspects, as weird as that sounds. And this was the interview that he gave this morning with Good Morning America. Okay, Alex, thank you. And joining us now is Molly's boyfriend, Dalton, Jack Dalton. We have all been following every word of this story. We certainly are thinking about you and Molly's family. We heard Molly's mom say that she believes Molly is alive but may have been abducted. What do you think happened? Um, You know, I'm not really putting a whole lot of speculation on what happened. I'm putting that in the hands of the authorities to let them figure it out. You know her best among those who know her best. Is there any chance in your mind that you think she could have left on her own? No. Not at all? No. You were the last person to hear from her. It was a Snapchat message. Uh, Did it give you any clues about what could have happened to her? Uh, No, it was just a standard message, picture of her face and a caption that, you know, didn't really mean a whole lot because we were just talking back and forth on Snapchat and I don't even remember what the caption said to be honest with you. Uh, You were working a hundred miles away when Molly went missing and and we all know investigators have ruled you out as a suspect. Can you walk us through the last night that you heard from Molly? That would have been Wednesday night before she went jogging. Uh, We were just having conversations on and off through text and Snapchat and that was about all. It It seemed like a totally normal night. It seemed like a totally normal night, and, and then she went on a run, right? Walk us through what you know about those, those final moments that we heard or saw her. Um, I don't know a whole lot. The investigators are keeping pretty tight-lipped for good reason, you know, mm. to not compromise the investigation by putting anything out there that doesn't need to be out there. Hmm. There's a little bit more of this interview, but that was the first time in that whole interview where I went, that's, hmm. When he said investigators are being very tight-lipped. Yeah. Yeah. You know who they don't tell the details to? The suspects. Yeah. And usually anybody in law enforcement will tell you the first suspects are the people around you. The closest ones. The closest ones. Now, it's I know that he's got an alibi. I and mean, he's, he's, they've, like you said, I mean, they, he was 100 miles away in Dubuque. Yeah, but maybe their timeline is wrong. Who saw her jogging? That's what... Who saw her jogging? That's what the cops have been saying is... Oh, yeah, he's in Dubuque the whole time. Yeah. When they know for sure... He was not, or he was, but he wasn't there for as long, or he didn't get there when he said he got there. This 
guy shows no sort of emotion at all, except for that weird breathing he does. And I know Mark Garrigus says there's no playbook for grief. But if your girlfriend of three years disappears at 20 years old, you're going to be a freaking mess. I mean, I'm not saying a blubbering, crying mess, but you're not going to behave the way this guy is behaving. Uh, I don't think I would. I mean, you're right. I, I don't know how I would react. You'd be probably frantic. You would be know sleeping. I, uh, he, he looks like he's sleeping. Like, he doesn't have the dark circles that you would have if you were up since July 18th. This is your brother. You have a brother. If yeah. He, if, if this is your brother and he loses somebody like this in weird circumstances. Uh, He'd be up he all says, night driving around looking. You know, I mean, it, it, you can tell when someone's not sleeping, not eating properly. Right. because. And would you ever, as a sister, I mean, as a close family member, would you ever allow him to go and sit down for an interview like this? Probably. I don't. I don't because know if, if you're do not doing the interviews, then it's like, well, what do you have to hide? Uh, hey, OJ. Well, that's not the right. Wow. Never. I was going to go down a different road. I prom- I will not do that. Listen, <laughs> we're going to talk more about this in the in the uh, five o'clock hour because there's so much more to this, and we'll play the rest of that interview as well uh, in the five o'clock hour. Because after after he starts talking about, well, you know, the investigators are keeping tight lipped around me because they don't want to give any details away about what's. Hmm. Hmm. There's more. John and Ken are on holiday. This is their once a year they go to a picnic together. You haven't heard about this? No, I'm. I'm yeah, I'm listening. John with- brings fried chicken that he makes at home, and Ken usually brings cookies, and it's like they make a whole day out of it. John does not eat chicken. No, he brings it for Ken. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And the family. Got it. When we come back, the latest about Mark Ridley Thomas. He also Man, makes great pancakes, apparently. Who does? So I don't know if he's going to bring the pancakes. John. No. Oh, yeah. That's a true story. The fried chicken I made up, but the pancakes I didn't. The John and Ken Show. Gary and Shannon filling in today. John and Ken Show, KFI AM 640. Gary and Shannon in for the guys today. Coming up after Deborah's news at the top of the hour, we are going to hook up with Alex Stone. He's got all of the details about this investigation into that Las Vegas massacre. Very inconsistent picture of the shooter. Uh, A successful gambler who enjoyed traveling but avoided germs and handshaking. Very, as you said early, unsatisfying conclusion to this investigation. Alex will tell us all about it coming up. Also, we do something uh, during our show called Swamp Watch every day where we take a half an hour and just carve it out, talk about what's going on in Washington, D.C. There's an update today about the Mueller investigation that... The Mueller team interviewed the Manhattan madam, who she is and why she matters at all in that uh, in that investigation. So we'll talk about that coming up probably about uh, 4.30. Well, you are familiar with Mark Ridley Thomas, of course, the L.A. County supervisor who cannot get enough of himself and all of his verbal diarrhea. Gosh, just <laughs> sitting in here between the hours of 2 and 6, it like brings it all back. You know, I feel like I've got... John sitting here with us. Uh, (laughs) The ghost of John. But State Assemblyman Sebastian Ridley Thomas. His son. Was a reality up in Sacramento. Until he abruptly stopped on his quest for this political career. Yeah, remember, he resigned because he had what they referred to in the nomenclature as 
unspecified health problems that would determine uh, or demand an extended period of time to recuperate. It was odd because he's 30 years old. So it was like, well, what kind of health problems? What's going on? It just didn't seem, I don't know. It didn't. But now we're learning why he resigned. But I wanted to just play this little clip of him talking because you know how his father speaks like he is so brilliant. Son, just 30 years, 30 years old, also speaks like a uh, wise sage. Yes, like the owl that you would go to in a cartoon movie looking for wisdom. Bingo. This is an interview he did with the Los Angeles Sentinel. And your state senate uh, jointly as the California version of Congress. <laughs> if you're more oriented toward the private sector, we're the board of directors for the $176 billion corporation known as the state of California. <laughs> and it's just, it goes on and on. And is it like a drunk on power thing? Uh, we are the board of directors for the state of California. We wow. make all the decisions. If that's the case, I'm selling Sweetie, my shares. you're a state assembly person. All right, so assemblyman, former state assemblyman, Sebastian Ridley Thomas, resigns in December. Um, and then amazingly reappears on the faculty at USC. Now, he was he was going to be a professor of social work and public policy. Mind you, he does lack a graduate degree. But they gave him a scholarship nonetheless, a scholarship to pursue a master's degree in social work. Okay, so that's just, oh, reminder, USC falls squarely within Mark Ridley Thomas's county district. Oh, and supervisor district. And reminder, USC is right now lifting up every rock on the campus to see what's <laughs> right. hidden underneath it so they can get rid of it and eradicate the problem so that the headlines stop going start going away. If you, you know the Carmen Hot Rails Puliafito headlines right. and the the bad gynecologist headlines and oh, here we have something else that looks improper. If you have a dirty diaper of business at USC, they're gonna sniff it out. Mm. They used to just throw more garbage on top of it. Now it looks like they're trying to smell all this stuff out. So, it's unusual, to say the least, that Sebastian Ridley Thomas would get a job as a professor, that he would also get a scholarship to pursue a master's degree in social work. Add to this, there was a recent $100,000 donation from a campaign fund controlled by the by his father, Mark Ridley Thomas. And the donation was a gift to USC's School of Social Work. Hmm, wait a and- minute. So it stayed there, right? That $100,000 donation, which came from the Mark Ridley Thomas Committee for a Better L.A., how conceited do you have to be to name it off to yourself? Well, it's weird that it ended up in the school where the son was going to school to pursue his master's degree. But that's where it ends up, right? No, that's not where the money ends up. It ends up in a nonprofit that is run by Sebastian Ridley Thomas. Oh! So they used USC to clean the money, essentially. Dad gave the son $100,000 and used USC as the cleaners, as the shell company. A lawyer for Mark Ridley Thomas said that the supervisor was surprised, surprised, Mm -hmm. I say, Mm -hmm. to learn that his donation to USC had become an issue. That's a bunch of baloney. And yes, you. Rick Caruso, by the way, who is now uh, board of uh, chair of the board, he's cleaning up all the diapers. Uh, that's a 
nasty job. Mm-hmm. We got a hand. Uh, we got a hold of one of his uh, uh, his statement that was issued not just to um, people within USC, but without as well. I am disturbed and concerned by these allegations. People will be held accountable for their behavior as appropriate. By the way, this has been turned over to the feds. The U.S. attorney has been told about this. U.S. attorney's office in L.A. is now on this case. Coming up, the investigation into the Vegas massacre looks like it's been finished, but still so many unanswered questions. We'll do that when we come back to the John and Ken Show. John and Ken Show on this uh, Friday, August 3rd. Gary and Shannon in for John and Ken today going to be in for a handle on Monday. Oh, that's right. Yeah, so. We're just ping-ponging all over this place. I just threw my alarm clock away. It it doesn't even matter anymore. Yeah, well. It's not going to make any sense. Um, We've told you this story, and we're going to get into this a little bit later, probably when we do trending at 4 o'clock, as uh, Ohio State coach Urban Meyer admitted now that he misspoke to reporters at Big Ten Media Day. That is not misspeaking. That is lying. Uh, He said there was a 2015 domestic abuse allegation against one of his assistant coaches, and he said he did follow proper reporting protocol regarding the allegations, but he says that he failed in his words when he told reporters, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, the final investigative report on that Las Vegas shooting massacre was released today. Alex Stone is on the story and joins us with all the details of the report. Alex. Hey, guys. Yeah, the the investigation is now closed. It is done. That was part of uh, issuing this report today, almost 200 pages. And pretty much everything is explained in this report except for one main thing. They know who did it. They know how he did it. They know the carnage of what he was able to do. But why he did it, we may never know. And the the sheriff in Las Vegas saying they have looked over 2,000 investigative leads, 22,000 hours of video, 252,000 images that were part of this investigation, and they don't have a good answer. They don't know why he did this. They know that Stephen Paddock acted alone. There were a lot of theories that there were multiple gunmen. Uh, They say no, that, uh, that he was working on his own. Didn't leave a suicide note or any kind of manifesto. No evidence that he was radicalized or had any ideology that was anything in line with any kind of domestic or international terrorism. He committed no crimes leading up to the mass shooting. There was nothing that that got on the radar of police. They can guess that maybe because he had lost some money gambling that that might have ticked him off, that he had had mental issues. His doctor saying that he thought he was probably bipolar, but... That's just all a guess right now that we will never know, most likely, why Stephen Paddock carried this out. There's no. such an amount of premeditation for this crime. Yeah, so uh, there's so much work uh, being able to get that kind of arsenal and then to piece by piece get it up into the room. This wasn't somebody who just snapped. This was somebody who made a plan and exactly. then executed so it. Yeah, you think bipolar, that it's not somebody that was on the low at that time and then decided that he was going to carry this out. And his doctor said that he did think he was probably bipolar. His uh, doctor uh, telling detectives that Paddock had been acting odd and, and showed little emotion, that he refused to take antidepressants but did accept anxiety medication. He said Paddock uh, seemed like he was afraid to take any kind of medication. His girlfriend, Paddock's girlfriend, uh, had told police that Paddock had repeatedly said that he was sick, but doctors could not cure him. They kept telling him he had a chemical imbalance, but he thought there was something else going on in his life. So maybe he thought he was so sick that if he was going to go out, he was going to take other people out, too. 
they just don't know. And I mean, you know, except for somebody walking in and, and saying, hey, I didn't talk to you, but he told me that he was going to do this and why. They'll never know why why he carried it out. And let's talk about the gambling debts because we know that that was one of the original thoughts that maybe he was uh, he was weighing somehow to these casinos and he was losing his mind and losing his money at the same time. Yeah, and you know the the thought still for Sheriff Lombardo is that that they think gambling may have played a role in this, but he originally had about two point one million dollars in his bank accounts. He lost a couple of hundred thousand before this happened, but still had well over a million dollars to his name. And for many people, that would still be doing pretty well. If you were his age in your sixties and you had a million and a half bucks that you won gambling, you would take that and say you had done very well in life. But the the thinking here is that losing several hundred thousand dollars for somebody who was so into gambling and really made his life gambling, that was his his lifeblood, that 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 may have made him that angry. But clearly there was more than just gambling going on here. A lot of the mental health, if that is what set him off, the mental health had to come into play. But he was a big-time gambler. That's why he was in in the suite in room 32-135 at Mandalay Bay, this massive layout of a room. He knew that that he would get a big room. He specifically wanted one overlooking the festival, that uh, he was able to use the employee elevator because he was such a, a high roller at Mandalay Bay in an MGM property, that he was able to do a lot of things that you or I might not be able to do using that back elevator, getting a lot of help from the the bellhops because of who he was and his gambling history. The motive or lack thereof would not, uh, if we did have a motive, I guess I should say, it would not change the fact that 58 people were killed. It wouldn't take away any ounce of that pain that those families and and all the people attached to them feel will continue to feel for the rest of their lives. But it's such a human reaction for us to want it to make sense, for us to want there to be something that you can point to and say, oh, that's what happened. That's how he did it. And it's just such an odd human thing that that we that we long to find out the why and, and put all the pieces together. Well, sure, and then the why can help prevent something in the future. If we can figure out what the warning signs were, what he went through, was it some kind of uh, health issue? Stanford studied his brain. They didn't find anything. We've got the autopsy uh, uh, report back now. They didn't find anything other than what typically a guy in his 60s would have. Uh, when it comes to you know cardiovascular kind of stuff, but otherwise there was nothing going on there. The sheriff today said that this gives some certain sense of relief that they're done with the investigation, but of course he wanted to know why as well. And could it happen again? He said, sure, it, it could happen again. You hope in the grace of God it doesn't happen, but but something like this definitely could. There is one more report that is going to come out later this year, probably in December. The FBI's Behavioral Analysis Unit, the BAU is working on their their report on who this guy was and they will look at everything they can to try to to put together an image of who he was what led up to it but that's going to be more of specifically looking at him then a lot of that is taking their analysis and figuring out who somebody would be based on what they know about him that probably won't answer any of the the why but it will give us more of an inside look at, at who Stephen paddock was all right alex thanks again Thanks, guys. Alex Stone there, the latest on this report. Again, about the uh, the Las Vegas shooting from last week, I, I think, or last year, sorry. The the th- most disturbing portion of it, I thought, was the brother telling investigators that he believed that Stephen Paddock carried out the attack.
because he had done everything in the world he wanted to do and was bored with everything. How's that? That's disgusting. Is that worse? I mean, is that worse than not finding a true reason why he did it? I mean, and the fact that, like you were saying, the work that went into this, because remember, he scouted other concert venues, other gather large gatherings of people and and the perch from which he was going to, you know, yeah, months shoot of everybody. planning, months of planning. All right, coming up next, a sign that the Turpin kids want to get on with their lives. We'll talk about it when we come back. Don't forget to listen to KFI all weekend long in addition to the outstanding KFI shows like you just think of one, like Dean Sharp's House Whisper or even Dr. Wendy. You can win tickets to the exclusive Pacific Food and Wine Classic coming up on the 18th of this month. This exclusive Newport Beach event is a food and drink extravaganza. We were out there last year. And it was absolutely a blast. Tickets are not cheap, but you can win them all weekend long right here on KFI. So listen and then win and then eat and then be merry and wear sunscreen as well. <laughs> This is probably the last time we get to fill in for John and Ken. <laughs> Gary and Shannon uh, in for the guys today. Yeah, for those of you who are wondering, well, I guess we can't do, uh, we we don't get to do Moist Line today. Like well, they don't allow us to do that. I mean, we've stolen just about everything else. All uh, the other desks we're going to run through today. But I not. wanted to do a live Moist Line, but you quickly waved me off of that. I don't think our egos could handle that. Yeah, you're right. We'd be torn apart. We would be a shell of a person. Absolutely torn apart. No, 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 no. We're not. <laughs> can't do it. Okay, one eight hundred five. No, no. Just kidding. You know Here. what? Maybe we could do our own moist line. Like we are the callers, and we can just rant about things that we don't like. Oh wait, that's what we do every right, day. That's what I was going right. to say. Why would we Got have it. to call in for that? Hey, today is Free Movie Friday with Adam. Tickets to giving away a chance at some free movies. You can text the word reporter. To Adam1, A-T-O-M-1, for your chance to win. The Adam Tickets app, browse movie titles, buy tickets, invite friends, pre-order concessions, all from your phone. Skip those lines. Standard data text message rates may apply. Well, there was a brief court appearance in the Turpin case today. Chris Carlo was covering it for KFI News and joins us now. Chris, what happened? Uh, it was over in a flash. So really what we saw was a delay of what they call an informational arraignment. Really, it's a rearrangement after the pre-trial hearing where we get all that evidence, which happened you know, three, four weeks ago. Um, all the charges are read again, and then you move on toward the trial phase here. So it's going to happen now August 31st, which pushes back the potential date for a trial to September or October. It's supposed to happen within 60 days of that uh, of that arraignment or rearrangement, if you will. Um, about the only new information that came out today is that the, uh, the judge agreed to give some of the evidence back to the kids, namely their birth certificates and one camera that had been recovered at the uh, at the house. Um, and uh, I mean, they didn't come out and say it, but if you read between the lines, it's probably so, so the kids can start to move on with their lives, have that documentation if they want to get uh, any sort of identification or maybe get a job or do whatever. Uh, as far as the camera, again, reading between the lines, perhaps sentimental value, perhaps it's something that they just you know want to have back in their possession. Just something that's familiar to them and what is probably a pretty terrifying transition. Well, and the so it's a sign that they want to start living a normal life, that they want the birth certificates. I don't think that's for sentiment's sake. You need a birth certificate for something, yeah. you know, form of, of, of identification. 
Yeah, exactly. And, you know, once this stuff is submitted to the court uh, after it's been picked up because of a search warrant or whatever, you have to have a judicial order in order to have it released. And so that's the reason they, they went through the process. So it may seem a bit strange or odd to people, and I understand why. Once you see it in the context of, well, this was considered evidence, and because it was considered evidence and we're in the course of the process here, this is why you need a court order in order to have it returned back to the people who rightfully own it. Were they giving any sort of, you mentioned how quick this went by, so I'm assuming they didn't give a whole lot of information about the condition of these kids or where they are, how they're doing? Yeah, we didn't hear anything to that uh, to that end. I think, um, you know, the the only little glimmer that we got again was just that this stuff was going to be returned and i i also thought it was kind of interesting because at before every single time i've been there before the judge comes in david and louise turpin are sitting at a table and you're not allowed to record audio or video before or excuse me during the actual hearing but you can do so before and after and so they were in there for a little bit and then after the judge left, the bailiff's like, oh, well, they're going to be sitting here for a little bit longer if you guys want to get some more pictures of them. And I was just like, oh, okay, I see kind of kind of what you're doing here. Uh, nice. Uh, now, if we go back, I remember they are now being represented. David and Louise are being represented separately, right? Yes, separately. Two different uh, public defenders. And it, also a bit different is that the public defender team for David Turpin, uh, uh, David Maysher, who has been his public defender at each of these hearings, was not there today. I don't think there's anything to read into that because I remember back at, during the preliminary hearing, he had said that he may have a conflict for this date. And if so, he's got someone who can stand in for him. Uh, but that was also one other very small wrinkle if you're paying uber close attention to this. Chris, thank you so much. Appreciate the update. Yeah, of course, guys. Chris and Carlo there. Now, um, it's to me, it's clear he's going to flip on his wife. I think the allegation, I think David's going to say, listen, she, she's the one who would do this to the kids. No, no, I was no, I think work. it's the opposite. You think she's so? going to roll on him. Uh, I, either way. I mean, the that's fact what, that they're that's separate That's what's now, got to happen. That's what's got to happen. It, it, the fact that they're separate, I think, makes And I this... think mom's got the better case because it's harder to see a mother abusing her kids in your mind than it is a father. Yeah, but if he's at work... Yeah, there, but if she's under his control, he she met him when she was still a teenager. He's had mind control over her for decades. You're, Sign me up. Your, your I eyes a, get really big when I could you say def- mind control. I could be a defense attorney for her. I mean, I would never do it. Wow. But that would be my defense is that he has controlled her her entire life. And she was fearful just as the kids were fearful of him. It's possible. Hey, uh, Dean Sharp, host of Home. Uh our house was he brought in a little toy in here a few it's minutes a, ago. It's a steam machine it says with a prong on it. Dyna steam and it's got a trident prong on it. It reminds me of uh Gwyneth Paltrow's uh, V <laughs> V and A steams that John and Ken love. Well, we're gonna have an interesting segment then coming also, up. Also in that vein, in the Gwyneth Paltrow goop vein, yeah. we have a story coming up later this hour about what the West Side people are now spending money on. And you won't believe it. Oh, I'll believe it. Yeah, you probably will. Because I'll tell you about the Huntington Beach story, about that falls in line with that thing when we come back. All right. All right. Gary and Shannon in for John and Ken. Gary and Shannon in for John and Ken today. Habit, sorry. We're supposed to see, we're technically supposed to say John and Ken show. John Cobelt, Ken Shampoo. 
and then say will be played tonight by the understudies, Gary and Shannon. You know, I don't think it really matters. I don't think people really care about they, the they semantics stopped. of it all. They gave up a while ago. Yeah, there's probably we're probably the only ones listening to this right now. Friday, it's August 3rd. Some of the stories that we've uh, been telling you about uh, include the latest on the search for Molly Tibbetts. That's that University of Iowa student who's been missing for a couple of weeks now in Iowa. And there was another news conference today. They didn't really say a whole lot, except that the... The brother, I'm sorry, the boyfriend gave an interview with Good Morning America today. And I think in the five o'clock hour, we may play a, play a little bit more of that interview because there's just something still that is not making sense about this case. Also clem- coming up in the five o'clock hour, we have some details of what went on inside that Trader Joe's where there was the the shootout there and the hostage uh, hostage situation. So we'll bring you those details, too. But when we do our show, 10 to 2 here on KFI, uh, we bring in Dean on Fridays. Dean, host of Home, he is the house whisperer, and we build things together. We yeah. built this plumbing fixture right that's here. Some, that's some good. You still have the pecs. I do. She's not going to get rid of that thing. I'm and, proud of and it. And you know what? It won't deteriorate on yes, its own. Exactly. It's uh, <laughs> it's gonna last longer than she will. Why am I here? It's weird. It's I the know. afternoon. It feel funny. The light is wrong. Everything's wrong. Sorry. I know. The light is wrong. What What's are, different? <laughs> what are we talking about today? Are we building something? <laughs> well, we are moving forward as we have been for weeks now. We have on the transformation of Shannon Farron. Yes. From from a know nothing nobody. Don't. Don't touch it, don't know how it works kind of gal. That's a much nicer way to say that. To the master, <laughs> the mistress, I don't uh, know what the appropriate term, just, of her domain. We'll keep it master. The master of her <laughs> domain. Right, okay. So, you know, she's a fireproofing expert now, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Closet right. organization master. Right. Uh, what else did we do? Oh, Pex Pipe. Plumbing. I built a closet Cert- last certified week. Certified plumber. Yeah. I, no? I built a closet last week. Yeah, you did. I did. And uh, today, today, she just threw that across the room (laughs) today. Are we on Facebook or Instagram live? Uh, Facebook, Facebook live. All right. So, so today we're uh, Facebook living right now. And uh, I brought in another toy. What is this one? This cute is going to transform Shannon in a matter of seconds into the master of a Organic gardening. Oh, oh boy. Oh boy. So let's talk about all right gardening. Get it. And just handling stuff around the landscape of your house. I'm so upset that John's not here right now because yeah. he loves organic, organic gardening. gardening. I know. I know. It's a, it's 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 that in the Dodgers. It's just a life dream of his. So the here's the thing when it comes to organic stuff uh, and landscaping, it really isn't something that's very difficult for people to do in terms of, oh, we're going to buy nice plants. We're going to put in a good watering system. Instead of using heavy chemicals for fertilizer, we'll just use an organic mulch instead. I'm glad you made that distinction because organic gardening to me sounded like overkill. Like when you're gardening, it's all organic, but people do use chemicals and things like that. Well, yeah, but but they they are natural-based processes, right? And and the truth of the matter is, especially in Southern California, these things are easy to find. They're everywhere, okay? So the problem with organic gardening really is the same with organic farming. The pain in the butt is weeds, weeds and bugs, right? I don't have a bug solution for you here today, but I do have a weed solution. This little unit sitting in front of me, which is 
what, the size of like a small little household vacuum, kind of handheld vacuum cleaner. This is called a Dynasteam, D-Y-N-A, Steam. You can find mm. their website. It's, it's the, the Dynasteam Dynast- 3. It's their third attempt. Yes, I want to make sure that we, we the other credit. Two, the other two blew up unexpectedly. <laughs> this one is still holding together. It's the it's a Dynasteam, and it is, this is not the only product on the market. They aren't sponsors of the show. Uh, they're just the ones that sent one to me for free. Uh, this little guy right here, he's uh, about 120 bucks, and it is a steam generator uh, that then has at its end a little hose. The a, hose, a hose. Oh, it almost looks like hose. a pressure washer. Check that out. Oh yeah, that look looks at those. Dangerous. That is a trident. You got, like a, a you got a pressure thermometer. washer handle with a big with a big trigger on. Right it. Now, meat like, thermometer now, claws. <clears throat> before I give everybody the wrong impression, who's watching? This is just a little six inch end here, right? Yeah. The the reality is you don't have to be crawling around in the garden, okay? Because the reality is there's a whole extension uh, wand. Here. Oh, okay. So, so you can stand I'm gonna up. Get up. When yeah. you're doing- so you're walking around the garden. You're just pulling this little guy behind you, and basically what you do is this: you walk up to your weed. Mm-hmm. You're going to stick these three prongs right over the weed, straight down into the ground. The steam comes out these stainless steel tips at the end, six inches down below the surface. 300-degree steam burst comes out of the end of this thing for five seconds. It literally explodes. It bursts the cells in the root walls of the weed. It kills it. Within 24 to 48 hours, that weed, you don't have to pull the weed. It will just wither and die wow. and 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 compost itself back into the earth. And so once you've got your yard under control and it's just a monthly kind of, oh, I'm going to spend an hour, I'm going to go outside and just uh, pull the Dynasteam around and whatever weeds I find. The Dynasteam 3. The Dynasteam 3. Right. Okay, so anyway, it I uh, turned it on. You filled it up with water. You turn it on. You wait till the dial uh, gets into the red, which means it's pressure Steamy. ready. I'm gonna. It dribbles a little bit at first, oh, so that's all right. Oh. Okay, so Shannon. Yes. Okay, don't point this right at a mic or any electronic equipment. Okay. But the the reality is, you can aim it at Gary. Nope. That's and uh, not a great you can idea. you can deweed no. him. Not, yeah. <laughs> not a great idea. Not pointing it at me, but you- no, you can point it right at him. Okay. Right at him. Pull that trigger. Do it. No, pull it hard. Hold on to it. There we go. Now we're talking. Oh, yeah. Hey, if nothing else, if you're looking for special effects yeah, for Halloween. Yeah, that's a fun toy. Right? That's awesome. So there's a like a three-foot plume of steam coming out the end of this thing. <laughs> and uh, power. The, wow, the, so re- the-, the reality is there's nothing more complex to explain about it. The fact is uh, that... Uh, 300 degree steam kills roots. Just about every weed that you're going to... Yeah, anything. I mean, it would kill a normal plant, too. Sure. So the fact of the matter is that much heat, uh, moist heat, applied to the base of a weed and the the crown... This is why weeds keep coming back. The stem that you see coming out of the ground, that is not the heart of the weed. The, The heart of the weed, most weeds, is right under the surface, what we call the crown... It's what the stem is coming out of, and it's what the roots are are going down from. This gets right to the crown and basically boils it in place. Yeah, and so almost a that's it. Horrific it's, way to go. It's I would been imagine. you know years past. Organic farmers and gardeners would tell you, oh yeah, you know you you boil water on the stove, you take it out, you can take the tea kettle out. For for anyone who's listening who doesn't want to uh, or can't spend one hundred twenty dollars to get one of these. 
Yeah, you could just put the kettle on, bring the tea kettle out, and pour uh, hot tea kettle water on your weeds, and they will also die. But this is more that effective goes straight to the because roots. that's on the surface, yeah. and this is happening under the ground, the roots. Hey, Dean, so. you have chickens, right? I do. Can you stick around? Because the story we have coming up next is kind of like a Gwyneth Paltrow Wait, I'm just totally story. steaming Nick here. <laughs> His skin looks so great oh, it now. Does. It that is doing true, wonders. Right? Exactly. Nick, you're, you're, glowing. you're glowing. Oh, and by the way... Woo! By the way, there yeah. are attached. If this if this kind of reminds people uh, of like a clothing steamer, mm-hmm. there's a clothing steamer attachment. So it's not just a one-off. <laughs> if you want to bring this oh, in the house, cool. you can screw you can steam the grout on your floors, uh, but and, and also your clothes. All right. To anyway. be clear, because we were talking about goop in it, there's not a person. There are no personal attachments, right? I mean, it's not for personal use. You can't steam your bottom with that, can you? Well, that's what you started to say during the break until mm-hmm. I revealed the fact that there were three six-inch <laughs> long stainless steel spikes. I don't know what those people are into. So I'm just going to say it's at your discretion, Shannon. Excellent point. Coming up next, a goop story of the day. I can't believe people are spending money on this. And Dean, I think, might be one of those people. Do you, want me to, you want me to give my two cents on, uh, on, don't say on that? Yeah. yeah. That thing? Right there. Mm-hmm. Okay. Gary and Shannon in for John and Ken. John and Ken show, KFI AM 640. Gary and Shannon in for the guys today. We usually do the show 10 to 2 here, Monday through Friday. Looks like JFK may be losing some of his allure. Some of the most iconic items associated with the Kennedy White House did not do as well as they were supposed to do at the auction house. We've got a story behind that only known picture of Marilyn Monroe and JFK to tell you about coming up. In uh, less than an hour here. One of the headlines today was the uh, the doctor who was accused, I'm sorry, the, the man who was accused of killing a doctor who worked on former President George H.W. Bush. The guy who shot the doctor eventually shot himself during a confrontation with authorities in Houston this morning, according to the, uh, to the police chief. Uh, it was a, just a strange story because we found out that the gunman's mother died on that doctor's operating table some 20 years ago. Apparently a grudge. I think that your uh, hypothesis was probably correct. This was a doctor who recently got a lot of attention for for taking care of HW. And I think that that reignited whatever grudge that he had from 1997, and he acted on it. Well, over the last decade, raising chicken... Are you still playing with your steamer? That's fine. You can do that. (laughs) I'm still here. (laughs) Over the last decade, raising chickens has become a hobby for the elite. Nearly 1% of households in some of the biggest urban areas in this country, New York, Denver, L.A., keep chickens. This is according to a 2013 report from the Department of Agriculture. (laughs) Hold on a second. Hold on a second. What? It goes farther down and says that sometimes people, people take them on walks. Yeah, with their dogs. They bring them into the home. Uh, wealthy cities like San Francisco, chickens have become like a status symbol. If you've got chickens. We do have a neighbor. Now that you, you mentioned it, we do have a neighbor who does have at least one chicken that we hear in the morning. My sister-in-law lives in the country in Hawaii, uh, on Oahu, on the countryside. And she's had chickens for as long as I've known her. Uh, so 12 years or so. And when I first went to her house and I saw her chickens, I thought, what the hell? Who who, do, who keeps chickens? And then one of my good friends in Denver, she had chickens. And Dean Sharp has chickens. He's one of the elite. Well, apparently, 
there I is like to think of it that way. A new market. Uh, Whenever the aroma of the chickens wanders oh, into yeah. the house, for I like to think that. Is. Oh, that's the smell of eliteness. There's a new market for the accoutrement that comes with the chickens, like diapers. People are spending hundreds of dollars yeah. on diapers for their chickens. I'm out. Yeah. I have another question. Mm -hmm. When the hell did this become a thing? Uh, within recent years. No, no. Oh, diapers? Yes. Well, when because the first time I've ever seen a chicken diaper. I mean, and the, the first time in my life I've seen a chicken diaper is when this story was printed out and you said, we're going to be talking about the booming business of chicken diapers. Now it's been around for a while. There Seriously? is yeah. a woman who yep. has a company called Pampered Poultry, mm. and she sells diapers for $18 a piece every month. She sells Thousands of them. Mm -hmm. $18 a diaper yeah. for a chicken. You know how much I paid What's for my chicken? What's wrong with you people? <laughs> the average <laughs> the average chicken costs about $4. So that gives you some perspective right Have there. you ever put your chickens in diapers? No, ma'am. No, ma'am. Well, you know. Are you but there are. Okay. Backyard chicken uh, keeping is a is a booming thing. And, yeah. and people are realizing that actually it's pretty easy to do. And you get free eggs. Your you eggs, guys have your eggs, by the way, are delicious. Yes. Why thank life changing. You. That's what I've been told. <laughs> you as a <laughs> as a poltrologist, you know Whoa. that uh that chickens do not urinate separately from their defecation. Nor, nor do they lay eggs from a separate uh orifice. So mm. the defecation it and all the urine and the, the egg all comes from the same <clears throat> Orifice. Uh, That's yes. why they taste an so great. An orifice that we refer to as the vent. Mm. Yeah. No, we don't. Well, <laughs> that's not what we call it. Let's see. Purely poultry has a zebra print for its uh, diaper. Clever. Those go for about $17 a piece. My Pet Chicken offers custom-made diapers. So if you want to take your chicken's measurements, you can get a custom <laughs> diaper for $30. <laughs> A custom tailored diaper for your chicken. Listen, here's the thing: if you're paying for if you're paying for coaches for your kids' Fortnite skills, then yes, you can spend as much sure. money as you want on chicken diapers. Yeah, chickens. Uh, there are actually there's an entire category of chickens called bantams, uh, which are uh, uh, several different breeds of chicken that only get to be about half size of uh, a standard chicken, <clears throat> and there are several breeds of bantams that they say are incredibly affectionate very human friendly very we have one one bantam and it seems to be the case what is very, his name her name is Ooh. is baby sexist and she is a a freaky little bantam uh, that's known as a uh uh, <laughs> uh see is she the frizzle no she's not she's a uh she's a polish which means she's got this Crazy dew, fuzzy dew, like a little mohawk coming off the top of her head. Do you ever Kid. put her in a corner? Uh, baby often puts herself in the corner <laughs> because Dean, she's so much smaller than everybody else. Dean Sharp, thank you for your um, weed killing expertise as well as your chicken diaper knowledge. Wait. We appreciate your time. Yeah. Oh. Did you just get that on yeah, yourself? That a was bit. a little messy. My mouth was <laughs> That's open. what happens yeah. when you play with your hose too much. Yeah. All right, Gary and Shannon, in for John and Ken. More coming up next. I just texted John. I said, uh, we just did a story about organic farming on your show and also diapers for chickens. I wouldn't be surprised if he just told you. He sent me a picture of a ballpark. Oh. It says, I'm happy to be here. <laughs> and not with you fools.
Hey, at the uh, the bottom of this hour, we're going to get into what we call Swamp Watch, where we go through and talk about what's going on in Washington, D.C., and there's a bunch going on today, including uh, the Mueller team met with somebody called the Manhattan Madam, who is apparently a confidant of Roger Stone. Why that's a big deal, and we'll talk about that. Also, a, a ruling, federal judge ruling on DACA that we have to explain to you. Well, on our show at 12 noon every day, we do a little thing called What's Happening. We keep you up to date on all the stories people are talking about, all the things trending. We keep you up to speed. Time for What's Happening. The Ohio State University has been in the news this week because one of the most untouchable coaches in college football has been touched and placed on administrative leave. This is while the university investigates what he knew about an assistant coach that was beating his wife. It looks like he may have been looking the other way because his wife certainly had knowledge of the abusive relationship. And it looks like he probably did as well. Well, the coach in question that we're talking about is very close to Urban Meyer. It's the grandson of Urban Meyer's mentor. So there was a reason for him to look the other way, if that is what happened. Today he's talking for the first time since being placed on leave, and he's saying that he did follow follow protocols when this came to his knowledge in 2015. Okay. This is a strange bit of uh, backtracking because just back on the 24th of July for Big Ten Media Days, Urban Meyer said that members of his staff – had looked into allegations that Zach Smith, that's one of his assistant coaches, that Zach Smith had beat up his wife. And what he said back on July 24th was, they didn't find anything. I was never told about anything. Anything never came to light, never had a conversation about it. So I know nothing about that. Now today in his statement, he says, well, on media day that he misspoke, that he failed with his words. What he did on media day is he flat out lied. There's a way to sidestep a question. He did not do that. He didn't fail with his words. He used the ones that created the lies. Now, he has been placed, Urban Meyer has been placed on administrative leave while they investigate these claims. Um, The postulation, the theory that Shannon gave yesterday is that Shelly is the one. Shelly, Urban Meyer's wife, is the one who's probably going to end up falling on her sword for this, taking the brunt of it so that her husband and the Ohio State can maintain a reputation. Well, I don't know about that anymore because now he's saying he knew about it in 2015 and he followed protocol and the guy stayed on his staff. Anyway. I think he's done. I think Urban Meyer's out. I don't know. I don't I don't know. It, it means a lot to win in that Big Ten conference. It's a true. lot. They beat Michigan every year. New evacuation advisories and orders were issued overnight for parts of Lake and Calusa counties. This is all about those growing Mendocino complex fires that are still raging on. Yeah, there's two fires, uh, Mendocino County and Lake County, but they're considered the Mendocino complex. 153,000 acres as of this morning. So a few hours after that, um, uh, after the meeting this morning, which is about 7 o'clock, about... uh, 10.30, 10.30, they had mandatory evacuation orders issued for residents in the Lucerne, Glenhaven, Clear Lake, Oaks areas. About 5,000 people have been uh, uh, told to get out. 
From these fires alone, there's been 41 homes that have been destroyed, and they're saying that there are 9,000 structures that are threatened as a result. Yesterday, we told you about the man who was wanted for murdering George H.W. Bush's former cardiologist. This was the doctor that was in his scrubs, on his bike, headed to work. He's a block away from Houston Methodist, where he where he works, when somebody walked up to him and shot him twice in the chest, killing him instantly. Police were able to find out that that suspect in the case was somebody who held a grudge for 20 years, someone whose mother died on the table in 1997 on this doctor's operating table. And we talked about yesterday how this seems like somebody who's just done with life and and wants to end the doctor who's who caused him so much grief in his mind. And that's, in fact, what he did. He shot and killed the doctor. And then as police closed in on him, shot and killed himself. Interesting, because they said that this guy had a file with a sheet with several names of other doctors and employees at Texas Medical Center as well. So they don't know if he was working off of a list and that this was the first person or... This was the only one that they found. But all of those doctors, all the other staff members had been notified because at first they didn't know where the guy was. So they caught up to him last night. He ends up eating the business end of his handgun um, while in the confrontation with cops. So um, if you've not seen this video, you can go to KFIAM640.com. Use the keyword Gary and Shannon. This, uh, This apple of a human being who was taunting a bison at Yellowstone National Park. Now, an he, idiot. He wasn't injured, but man, I think everybody who watches this prays that he was injured. Uh, it's sort of a slow traffic through a uh, uh, just a two-lane highway, and the reason it's slow is because there's a giant bison walking through, so everyone's being careful. This guy thinks he's being funny by getting out of his car, getting out of his truck, and squaring up it, to this bison. Alcohol was a factor. Now... I might also suggest that this guy's shorts are way too short. Larry Bird shorts over oh, there? Oh, yeah. And by the way, as much a, a, of a fan as I am of my seventh grade P.E. uniform, no one should wear those shorts anymore. Those bison are beautiful. Beautiful animals. I didn't even see the bison. All I saw was the guy's white legs. I know. You have a weird thing with men in shorts. There's a guy down the hall. You just lose your mind every time he comes to work in his shorts. Because it's work. Right. It's not. He's not a He's not a personal trainer. This is not a gym. We're, we. This is not a beach. This is a place of professionalism. Remember the mega mil- Well, would we say that? No, I wouldn't. Mega millions See how winning. how far I could go. <laughs> mega millions winning prize worth $543 million. We finally found out who got it. Remember that was a single ticket sold in San Jose? Well, it was another office pool. Not your office what? pool. Not our office pool. It was a stupid ass <laughs> office pool. From Santa Clara County. 11 people who work in the financial industry. I, <laughs> in the financial yeah, industry? Like, we're digging ditches here. Uh, like, we need to, like, we would not have to, work anymore. If we had somebody win that here, you know, if we if our office pool won, we would let one person pick up the ticket, and then everybody else goes dark. Like, I don't want to, I don't want my name out there. Yeah. I don't want anybody to know. Who would, who would put their name out there? Probably Michelle. Michelle. She's yeah. usually the she ringleader. She take responsibility. Um, there was a guy uh, arrested, and uh, I know this is going to blow your mind, in a Florida 7-Eleven 
after dumping a bucket um, onto the floor in that 7-Eleven. A bucket of flowers? Uh, no. A bucket of... Um, Slurpee? Slurpee? Mm, you could kind of say that. Well, we don't know the state that the feces was in. Damien Sims, a 41-year-old man, walked into the walked into the 7-Eleven in St. Petersburg about 1.30 in the morning and emptied the bucket containing human feces and urine on the floor. Oh, oh, and he's not done with it. I mean, it's not enough to just pour it on the floor. You got to splash it onto the goods, Here's don't you? my problem with the story. Yeah. He filled the bucket with waste from a porta potty. Mm-hmm. So, like, he had to get into that porta potty. Yeah. He had probably, like, opened up the toilet seat. That's how it works. Lifted up the, lifted up. Okay. The whole again, thing, I tell you. And then used his hands on the bucket to get in there and get a big scoop of it. And it probably splashed and it probably got on his hands. And that's disgusting. Oh, that's disgusting. Got it. At least we know where the disgusting line started. Coming up next, the story behind the only known photo of Marilyn Monroe and JFK together. We've got it for you when we come back. Gary Shannon in for John and Ken today and that. John and Ken show on this uh, Friday. Throwing my paper away. This is usually your nap time. I know. I usually just, I'm right now waking up from my nap. Is that why you have the blanket over there? No, the blanket is to clean up the mess that you made. There was an auction. Machine. There was an auction today on Cape Cod, not far from the Kennedy compound in Massachusetts, and the auction was some of was an auction of some of the most iconic items associated with the Kennedy White House, and they did not get the the money that they thought they were going to get. There was a rocking chair that JFK used to meet with world leaders in the Oval Office that sold for fifty grand. Uh, a collection of pens he used to establish the Peace Corps and sign that landmark nuclear treaty sold for sixty grand. But a number of other intriguing items they say did not sell, including Kennedy's last pencil doodles before his assassination. Also a tie clip that was in the shape of the PT-109 torpedo boat that he commanded during World War II. Um, some items did not even get the minimum bid, including a charcoal drawing done as a study for the president's White House portrait, handwritten notes that he jotted about Vietnam, his crystal ashtray, his letter opener. Anyway, one of the items that's open for auction bids until mid-August. Yeah, it's 17th, I think, when it ends. Is this picture. It's the only known picture of Marilyn Monroe and JFK and Robert Kennedy. It was taken on May 19th, 1962, in Manhattan, at a Hollywood executive's townhouse. And it was following a rally for the president's 45th birthday that they had at Madison Square Garden. It was the night that Marilyn sang that sultry version of Happy Birthday. That's the dress, isn't it? That's the dress. It was just a couple months later that Marilyn Monroe overdosed in her home in Brentwood. The story goes that she had a sexual relationship with both JFK and Robert Kennedy. That, depending on the historian, you believe that she was kind of passed around. Right. Now, the picture itself was taken that night at this party 
by official White House photographer Cecil Stoughton. Cecil. That's yeah. He's the he's named the lion after him, right? Yes. A print of that image is now for sale. So the the auction house claims that even after Cecil died back in 2008, this could be the only surviving version of the photo that he printed himself from the original negative. Now, there is a version of this picture, part of the Life Images collection, but that that's not this one. Um, this one would be the only surviving version they believe that he printed from the original negative. JFK said about the evening... I can now retire from politics after having had happy birthday sung to me in such a sweet, wholesome way. (laughs) I had never read that quote before. I hadn't either. Because that is an F and U to all sensibilities. Yes. Because if you remember the recording, it is anything but sweet and wholesome. It is a sex object singing to her lover. uh... You, you're having problems getting through puberty. That'll that'll finish the job for you. <laughs> I'm not a doctor. I'm just saying that that it could happen. According to another biographer, um, Marilyn Monroe and JFK met four times between October 61 and August 62, but that their only actual sexual encounter took place two months before the concert in the bedroom. Uh, sorry, in before the concert. The sexual relationship was in a bedroom at Bing Crosby's house, allegedly, March 24th, 1962. That was according to Marilyn Monroe's masseur. So, again, if you want in on the picture, she it's it, the picture, by the way, she's wearing that dress, the sparkly, nude-colored dress, breasts forward, and... That is very... Uh, breasty. Yeah. But, um, I mean, she was... A- yeah, very beautiful. Uh so she appears to be talking to the president who's maybe 16 to 17 inches from her. And he's looking down, not at the breasts, <laughs> or but in the direction of the breasts. And then to her right is Robert Kennedy, again, who is said to also have an affair. And in the background, by the way, Harry Belafonte. Harry Belafonte and um, Arthur Schlesinger Jr. Is, oh, is that who that is? Yeah. Of course. Pick him out in a crowd for sure. All right, coming up, we're going to do Swamp Watch, which means we're going to talk about all about what's been going on in Washington, D.C., the latest on the uh, Paul Manafort trial, and this federal judge that has ordered the administration to do something about DACA. We'll talk about that when we come back to the John and Ken Show. Gary and Shannon filling in. John and Ken Show. John Cobalt, Ken Champo, both on vacation, as a matter of fact. So Gary and Shannon filling in today. The final investigative report into that Las Vegas shooting massacre was released today. And the people interviewed by investigators about the shooter say he was detail-oriented but had poor health. That he grew up in a single home, a single with a single mom in a financially unstable home, and that he may have been bipolar, but... No motive released in this report. Terrifying, frustrating, all of that stuff. The Turpins were back in court today as well. Uh, It was just a procedural hearing for the most part. took just less than five minutes. One of the things that the judge decided in that case was that the Turpin kids are going to get things like their birth certificates, IDs back, and I guess specifically a camera that they had. 
um, that all the evidence that the police are going to need that from that camera or whatever they have so that those kids can get IDs back. And maybe that's the beginning to sort of getting some of these forms that they might need or driver licenses or whatever it is to get on with their lives. During our show, though, we like to dive into all things Washington when we dive in to the swamp. Drain the swamp. We're going to drain the swamp of Washington. We're going to have fun doing it. We're all doing it together. Well, we are in day four of Paul Manafort's trial on tax evasion and bank fraud charges. Paul Manafort, of course, former campaign chairman for President Trump. Interesting. The the latest testimony has to do, well, I mean, it's all bank and tax fraud. So you'd imagine that getting a bunch of accountants up on the stand is not going to be the most exhilarating courtroom drama. But they have been talking with a longtime accountant, a guy named Philip Aleph. Uh, and they're talking about Manafort inflating his business income by millions of dollars and keeping his bookkeeper and his tax preparers in the dark about any of the foreign bank accounts that he was using to buy $15,000 ostrich jackets. Philip Aleph told jurors that Manafort denied on multiple occasions that he controlled foreign bank accounts. He was asked by his tax preparers if that was the case, and he said no over mm. and over and over. Ah, tax fraud. That's why the accounts were not reported on years' worth of Manafort's tax returns as required by federal law. Now, there are tax preparers that will break the law for you or help you to break the law and then look the other way. Now, here's an interesting twist. They'll say to you, you know, if this ever comes up, right. I didn't know about this. Yeah. Just to be clear, I have plausible deniability. Right. Uh, here's an interesting aspect of all of this. So this Philip Aleph was telling jurors that Paul Manafort denied on several occasions that he controlled these foreign bank accounts. So that's why they weren't reported. And he also testified that he sometimes communicated with Rick Gates. Okay. Now, we know Rick Gates has already pleaded guilty. He's flipped. He could come up as a witness in this case. He would said that he would talk with Rick Gates about Paul Manafort's personal and business tax returns. But he said that Paul Manafort authorized those discussions and that Gates and Manafort never actually contradicted each other. So that's going to be important because remember, Paul Manafort's defense, at least what they've indicated so far, their defense is, hey, Paul left everything up to Rick. Paul let Rick handle all of the financial stuff. So if there is any financial shenanigans going on, it was Rick taking advantage of Paul not knowing what was going on. Yes, he seems to be the scapegoat. One of Manafort's tax preparers testified as well, a woman by the name of Cindy Laporta. She says she did help disguise about nine hundred grand in foreign income as a loan so it would reduce Manafort's tax burden. She says the reason she agreed to do that is because Rick Gates was pressure, pressure, pressuring her. Yeah, this, okay, so now if you're following this case and you're saying to yourself, see, Paul Manafort, this is this is truth that there was collusion and that Donald Trump is dirty and he's in the pocket of the Russians or whatever, there's two words that have never, that have never come up in this trial. At least two topics, I'll say it that way, because I'm not sure to, can't say that the words haven't come up. But Russia and Trump 
have nothing to do with this trial. Nothing to do with it whatsoever. And that is really where the media has screwed the pooch. If you want to appear to be unbiased, then stop connecting the Paul Manafort tax evasion uh, trial to the president and the special counsel's investigation into Russia meddling in the election because they are apples and oranges. Paul Manafort, if anything that comes out of this trial that touches Trump, it will be the fact that he should never have had Paul Manafort as his campaign chairman because this guy stunk to high heaven. He made a bad hire. He made a bad hire and there were all the indications that this guy was dirty from the beginning and should not have been hired. But again, he was was campaign chairman for three months, something like that. I mean, he had a string of bad decisions when it came to campaign manager. Corey Lewandowski was one of them, but Paul Manafort followed up. So Um, this trial in Northern Virginia is the first of two for Paul Manafort. The second trial scheduled for scheduled for December in the uh, D.C. area. And that case involves the allegations that he was acting as the unregistered foreign agent for Ukrainian interests and was making false statements to the U.S. government. Specifically, are you working on behalf of the Ukrainian government? And the answer, no. The special counsel investigation into the Russian meddling, by the way, has now ensnared the Manhattan madam. How fun is that? Now, is Kristen Davis, wasn't she on Sex in the City? I mean, not the same woman. I mean, the the name. Yes. Kristen Davis is an actress who was on Sex in the Charlotte. City. Charlotte. She played Charlotte. The prudish one. Dark hair. That ends up banging the defense attorney. We're talking about the show? Right. Got it. Well, it is called Sex in the City. Got it. We'll tell you why, in fact. Uh, well, no, let's do it right now. Let's get into this right now, because I think this is fun. So she's known as the Manhattan Madam. She met with uh, Mueller's team for an involuntary interview this week. Uh, they appear to be interested in her ties to Roger Stone. Roger Stone is a name that is very familiar in Republican circles, political circles. He has been an advisor to Donald Trump for a very long time. Now, Roger Stone advises many, 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 many people. Bigly. All the time. Big league people. Davis, not Charlotte, but the Manhattan Madam Davis, worked with Roger Stone off and on for years. The two have a very close personal relationship. Of course, the Manhattan Madam was given that name because she was running a high-end prostitution ring. She even went to jail as part of the uh, scandal. It wrapped up uh, Elliot Spitzer's political future, remember? Uh, Yes. Love client number nine. Yes. And his nasty black socks. Bingo. Those odor eaters with the green bar across the toe. Why'd you scrunch your face up? I felt like I could smell the socks. She was not involved in the specific prostitution service that Elliot Spitzer used, but she was wrapped up in that whole scandal. It's really unclear why they brought her in, but it shows... That they're bringing in everybody. Well, Um, I I wonder if this means that they're going after Roger Stone. Well, yeah, potentially. They're looking into potential contact between Stone and Julian Assange during the 2016 campaign. They're delving into Roger Stone's personal life as well. There's a lot going on with Roger Stone and what they want to know who his associates are. Could he have been working behind the scenes to work with the Russians through intermediaries? When we come back, we'll continue Swamp Watch and talk about D.C. stuff, including this federal judge today that ruled that the Trump administration must fully 
restore DACA. Deferred action for childhood arrivals. We'll talk about that opinion when we come back. Gary and Shannon in for the guys. In for John and Ken today. Donna, uh, Deborah Mark has a Donna. Who Donna. Oh. I don't know what I'm thinking. Oh, you know, I'm not used Donna. to using words this time of day. I gotcha. Usually she's three Chardonnays deep. Oh, I, I getcha. So yeah. We're lucky we got <laughs> The chemicals are off here. John and Ken show. Wait, 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 wait. Why did somebody give this woman a, a venue? There are TV stations in New York that carried this. Uh, do you remember the woman who climbed up on top of the Statue of Liberty? No. It was just a couple of weeks ago. She climbs up on the Statue of Liberty. People lose their minds. They have to, they, like, cops have to, like, special mountain climbing cops have to go up there and get this woman off of there before she ends up dying. I don't know why they didn't just leave her up there. She can get her down by herself. She's like a cat. So she gets out of jail, and they have a, uh, she has a news conference, and everybody covers it. And all she does the entire time is yell about how the United States is horrible and America is fascist. And people covered and that. And people covered that. Yeah. Let her yell into the gaping maw of nothingness. Hey, listen to KFI all weekend long. In addition to the outstanding KFI shows like The Fork Report or Mo Kelly, you can win tickets to the exclusive Pacific Food and Wine Classic coming up on August 18th. It's a great time. It's an exclusive Newport Beach event. It is a food and drink extravaganza. Tickets are not cheap, but you can win them all weekend long right here on KFI. So listen, win, eat, and be merry. Mm, I might add sunscreen. Oh, was that a problem for you last year? Yeah, I remember getting burned. So this is a repeated issue that you have with not putting sunscreen on. You're 45 you're not 25. You should have learned this lesson Good a long God. time ago. Deborah, am I right? Oh, you're so right. Thank God. Well, I mean, what are you doing? Do you want skin cancer? Can I call your mom and tell her to tell you to stop bugging me? She would be right with me telling you to wear sunscreen. She'll also take my She's call. had to have chunks of her skin removed. Okay. Plus, she get wrinkles. That too. Do I look like I'm afraid of wrinkles? Have you seen the forehead on this guy? Well, you should be afraid. Wrinkles stink. Mm-hmm. Wrinkles stinkle. They really do. I think I see a couple now. You now that what? I'm looking closely. Ow! You guys are violent in there. A little bit. Wow. We're in the middle of Swamp Watch talking about what's going on in D.C. <laughs> when we don't get our naps. <laughs> federal, federal judge today uh, ruled that the Trump administration has to fully restore the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals program. 25-page opinion uh, said that the White House again failed to provide justification for its proposal to end the Obama-era program, under which nearly 800,000 people brought to the country illegally uh, have received work perf- uh, permits and deferral from deportation. Now, The interesting thing that he said, that this judge said, is, among other things, he's going to delay the ruling. Uh, The administration has 20 days to determine whether it intends to appeal the decision, and if so, to seek a stay pending appeal, which is clear that, I mean, I don't know why they wouldn't. The president rescinded DACA back in December. And in the opinion, the judge says that opinion, that decision was arbitrary and capricious with legal judgment that was inadequately explained it was an executive order wasn't it i mean there was there wasn't much to it though yeah but i don't know how 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 adequately the president has to explain that i mean maybe it's i, I don't know i mean the, the thing is uh he was writing that the district court for the district of columbia 
holds that if the Trump administration does want to rescind the program or take any other action for that matter, it has to give a rational explanation for its decision. So just a strange that happens to be a Bush appointee, this judge does. So huge tension over this whole thing. And yes, it's clear that the Trump administration would appeal this and ask for a stay pending the appeal. The Chinese government today threatened to dramatically escalate the standoff economically with the president, promising to impose tariffs on $60 billion worth of U.S. goods if the White House does not stop penalties, or I guess uh, pending penalties, on Chinese imports. Uh, The Chinese Commerce Ministry saying in a statement that it would add duties of 5, 10, 20, or 25 percent on thousands of U.S. imports and warned that it could adopt further countermeasures at any time. Beijing saying it was forced to act. This comes after the president's threat on Wednesday to raise a proposed tariff rate on about $200 billion worth of Chinese goods from 10 percent to 25 percent. White House officials had hoped that the latest threat from the president would scare the Chinese into negotiations. That's not what happened. They seem to be digging in with more retaliatory measures. And that could hurt us long term. But again, we're we're playing for the long game here. We're using short term threats to hopefully get somewhere in long term. Yeah, the, the president has already said he's willing to get some short term pain in order um, uh, to endure short term pain in order to get those long term gains. Ooh, can I give you a good spy story? Please. So a Russian citizen Work, like it already. Working for more than a decade at the U.S. Embassy in Moscow was fired last summer after she was discovered having unusual secret contacts with Russian intelligence agents. Was it Natalia Veselnitskaya? Veselnitskaya. No, but, uh, in fact, I do not see her name anywhere in here. Perhaps nice Russian name like Olga. She worked as a local investigator in the U.S. Secret Service office in the U.S. Embassy since 2001. So she's a Russian national working on behalf of our U.S. Secret Service in the U.S. Embassy in Moscow. She was fired uh, just about a year ago after State Department investigators were watching her and figured out that she had been meeting and communicating with agents of the FSS, or as they say, FSB, because they like change, they don't like to keep it in English. Secret Service spokeswoman confirmed the investigator lost her position after a standard security review. A standard security review? Having her tailed and watching her movements? That's a standard security review. I guess if you're at that level, it's probably smart. Hey, I've got information coming from Omarosa's book. Remember, Omarosa's <laughs> going to put out this tell-all about the Trump administration and her time there? Yes. The first little nuggets are coming out right now about her book. And Omarosa claims that President Trump has a mental decline that could not be denied. She said something real and serious was going on in Donald's brain. Of course, Omarosa was the TV reality TV star. She was on, uh, you know, the Apprentice shows and stuff. And she says Donald rambled. He spoke gibberish. He contradicted himself from one sentence to the next. Oh yeah, she doesn't have an axe to grind at all. Yeah, <laughs> I mean. But you know what? That's not really a mental decline issue. President Trump has done that his whole life. He changes his position on a number of things. Yeah. He contradicts himself all the time. That's just his personality. 
And where was she, where had she been the last 10 years? She's been next to this guy for 10 years. She cozies up to him. She sucks up to him so she can get a job in the White House. And then comes back and is like, I don't like him anymore. I think he says things that are weird. All right, coming up next. I'm going to sell a book. We have information about what went on inside that Trader Joe's in Silver Lake during the hostage situation, which ended with the death of a beloved manager there. Some some firsthand accounts of, of those terrifying moments. Are you all right? I'm just thinking it doesn't get much more Silver Lake than this story. Just what happened in that Trader Joe's. Yeah. We'll continue. Gary and Shannon in for John and Ken today. Is that a good idea for us to do? I don't, I'm not sure it's a great idea. Well, I wanted to do a moist line because I love the moist line. Right. But they're not here. Right. And I thought maybe we could do a live moist line, but that sounds like an FCC lawsuit of some kind. That's Yeah, that's dangerous. That's like, hey, let's play with a bunch of gasoline. No, I'm having a barbecue. Right. Now we'll do it. It's so fine. We'll be cool. That's exactly right. Uh, but I just stumbled upon some online reviews of us that we could read if you want. About how bad we are? Well, I mean, they're not all about how bad we are. We'll see. We might we might do a couple minutes of that. That'll come up a little bit later. Some of the big stories that we have been following, uh, the story of Molly Tibbs. She's the University of Iowa student who was uh, missing. And the the update from today was just that there's no suspects and there's no not suspects. The, the investigators have been still very actively searching for her and are not convinced that they're looking for a body. So uh, that's that was really the update. I guess they found a red T-shirt in an area near where they were searching before, which doesn't mean it was hers. In fact, they're not saying it was, but there have been plenty of clues that are out there. July 21st is when a man got into it with his grandmother in South L.A. It seems the grandmother was at their home talking to the man's girlfriend and the grandmother and the man got into it and he takes out a gun and shoots her seven times, grabs the girlfriend and takes off. The gunfire is called into the police. They're able to track him using LoJack technology on the stolen car, the grandmother's car that he took. And they start to give chase. They follow him all the way to Silver Lake. At this point, Pretty close to that Trader Joe's, he starts firing at the cops from the moving vehicle as he's approaching the intersection where Trader Joe's is. Crashes his car into a light pole, a light pole outside of Trader Joe's and runs in the market. Now he had stopped near a check near the checkout counter towards the front of the store, and he didn't know this. Or, you know, the people that were around him didn't know this at the time, but there were, I think, 21 other people who had barricaded themselves in the stockroom. And as we know, he had been hit at least once by the police, um, by, the, by the bullets, sort of a through and through on one of his arms. And one of the people who was in there is Mary Linda Moss. And... 55-year-old artist, I mean, it's Silver Lake, so everyone's an artist, but Mary Linda is in there, and she's watching this guy drip blood onto the tile of the floor. And she says, I, I think he asked for help. She got up. 
She took her insulin pump from her hip and took off a, a long shirt that she was wearing over a tank top and used that shirt to wrap his arm. And another shopper, a guy named Mike D'Angelo, would be sitting next to Mary Linda the entire time. He suggested, hey, uh, we could use your belt. And he's talking to the gunman at this time. We could use your belt as a tourniquet. And he lets them, but he never once lets go of the gun. He was shivering, asked for a jacket. Mary Linda sees some Trader Joe's sweatshirts near the front of the store. When she walks over to grab them, that's when she sees the store manager lying face down in a pool of blood. Now, that adds some urgency to all of this, but we know that Melita Corrado was eventually pulled out of the store. They tried to perform CPR, life-saving tech. She, she, was, she was dead by the time they got her to the hospital. Um, an LAPD officer was asking the gunman to release the hostages. And what's strange is Mary Linda says she felt like this officer who was talking to the gunman was going too fast. There was a lag on the cell phone. So he was talking over the, 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 the shooter. Which is strange because then she takes over. Like, she intercedes. She she takes the phone and says, stop, we're taking a few minutes. I'm going to hang up the phone. Everyone is okay. She said she would be the one who would try to de-escalate the situation, slow things down, connect with the gunman, make him feel hurt. I mean, all of these things, like, uh, I, I don't know how you have that mentality in a situation like that where you would... Uh, where you would intervene. There's a hostage negotiator who's been trained to do this in the LAPD, and you are going to take matters into your own hands because you think you can de-escalate the situation better? Uh, that's some balls. Uh, or some nuts. <laughs> Wait uh, a minute here. You know what I mean? Like, I know, I know. What you, <laughs> you kind of went with the same fruit there. No, I know what you mean. It's either crazy. It's either crazy or brave. extremely brave. Yeah. Now, um, she says that uh, she was trying to end this without, she said that he was trying, the gunman was trying to end this without getting killed by police. And her constant thought was, how do we keep this guy calm? And there's there's really no way. You're not going to take the gun away from him. I mean, that's a, that's a, a very advanced move. Kept saying didn't want to hurt anybody else, doesn't want to get hurt. And she says he wasn't weak enough that we could easily take him down. So she says she makes a decision. She puts her hand on his heart. And she says to him, there's always hope. I know you have a good heart. And I know you don't want to hurt anybody. It's all fine and good to talk to somebody like that when you live in unicorn land. But this was a guy who shot his grandmother who raised him seven times. Yeah. She's in her 80s, I think she is. Uh, you don't know who you're dealing with when somebody storms into a Trader Joe's armed who has just been firing at cops in broad daylight. And you're going to tell the police negotiator, I got this and hang up the phone. And then go and put your hand on his heart and say, I know you don't mean to hurt anybody. He clearly meant to hurt people that day. Can we not intervene 
in a hostage situation when SWAT is on scene handling it? But what? Well, maybe it worked. Maybe it worked. I mean, seriously, he didn't. He didn't kill anybody else. I don't. I listen. I don't know. We've said this before. We said it at the beginning. We were talking to the story about uh, Molly Tibbetts. We have no playbook for grief. We also have no playbook for a situation like that where a guy walks into a grocery store. You're just sitting there picking up some panda puffs and some key lime bites for dessert. And all of a sudden, the guy rolls in and you are a hostage. Now, I don't think, knowing what I know about you, I don't think you're the one who's going to walk up and put my lightly, hand on his heart. Lightly place your hand I, on his chest. Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. I hope like, not. I think it's time. I know you don't want to hurt anybody. Deborah, would you do that? You know, I would. Yeah. See, that's See she's what I a mean. good person. But no, she believes in the good in no, people. No, I, I mean, I actually, I like to think of myself as a good person, but I would do it in hopes that I would trick this guy. Oh, right? and then you would yes. then yeah. you'd neck chop no, him. No, 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 no. I would hope that it would end peacefully, and I would, I would say nice things and whisper sweet nothings mm. and all that kind of stuff and try and get sweet. the situation Wait, under hold on, hold on. I got to pull over the car. Sweet nothing. Well, I do whatever I have to do. Not everything. I, you know. Okay, let's let's backspace a minute here. Okay, let's delete that. Tony, I don't mean Tony's that. Tony's rolling on this whole conversation. So. You know what I mean. Well, I in know. a general sense, I mean, out, outside of hostage taking at a grocery store, are you the kind of a person who is, you know, got to smooth it over? I am. You don't have to win the argument. You just want the argument to be over. Absolutely. Okay. Well, then that makes sense. Thank you. That makes sense. Okay, good. I still, when I write the story, you will put your hand on the on the guy's chest. No, I, you know what? And if, then you'll next. As long chop as him. there's no blood, then I would. But I'm not going to get he, my he, hands dirty. Oh, he was shot. He was bleeding. I, I, I know, but I I wouldn't have done that. But maybe I would hold his hand and I'd say, "Listen, I know you're a really good person. Mm. I know you are. You don't want to get in any more trouble. Give yourself up." Things won't be as bad if you shoot us all. Mm. I would, that's what I would do. <laughs> let me let me add to this. I think the first thing that you got to do is you got to ask his first name. Oh, that's a good idea. That's a good Now, tactic. what is your name? I've done that. That's a great name. I love that name. I was going to name my kid that. Yeah. See, she's getting this. Because I want my kid to grow up to be Just someone who shoots right. his grandmother you. seven times. Right. All right. Uh, we'll come back. No. What? We're not coming back. Super segment, baby. Seriously? Yes, sir. How don't come you they don't see? tell me these things? It says it right there. What does it say? Super, Super segment. segment. Got it. I know. I it's thought... a different show. It's a different show. But we also are going to update the search for Molly Tibbetts. Molly Tibbetts is that 20-year-old University of Iowa sophomore who disappeared more than two weeks ago now. This case has sparked such interest around the country that it is just incredible. And we were talking about it a little bit earlier. I think it's kind of a three-pronged situation. Number one, she's a pretty white girl, and those stories always play more. I'll leave the commentary out. Number two, it's such a small town, 1500, where she disappeared from, that it's eerie that nobody 
saw anything. Nobody no nobody has raised their hand and said, "Well, Bo down the streets, an odd guy. He has always been weird, and uh, maybe look into him." Nothing of that nature. And number three, there is a boyfriend. There is a boyfriend in this case, a boy that Molly started going out with when she was a high in high school. They were high school sweethearts. They've been together three years. She went to Iowa, University of Iowa, and was home for the summer and staying with her boyfriend for the summer. He goes away to a construction job, allegedly, 100 miles away. She goes out for a jog that evening and doesn't come back. Or she she may have come back and, and sent him a Snapchat at that point, but... They've been very, they being the Department of, uh, I think it's Public Safety in the state of Iowa, but also the FBI and the local authorities, have been pretty quiet about exactly what they know about Molly's movements that night. They did question the boyfriend. They questioned the boyfriend's brother and fiance who live there, too. They ruled them out as as suspects. Uh, It doesn't mean they ruled them out as suspects. I was going to say, let me rephrase that. They've said they've ruled them out as suspects. Yeah. I think they're giving the boyfriend a very, very long invisible leash and that they are mindfully paying attention to his behavior, to his correspondence, text messages and the like, and trying to get more information. Investigators have been so quiet about any evidence. They will not talk about any evidence uncovered in this case. They are saying that they're getting many tips a day and that they do want more. There's a huge reward in this case. It's up over $170,000. Yeah. Okay, we played for you a little bit at the beginning of the show, the boyfriend's interview that he did with Good Morning America. And the first parts of it are, you know, just pretty simple. You know, what did you know? What, you know, what did you know about the night that she disappeared? And he talked about how they would keep in contact, maybe a phone call since he's away doing this construction job, phone call here, text there, Snapchat this, that way. And then this question and the response sort of piqued my interest. Again, this is, uh, his name's Dalton Jack. He's the boyfriend of Molly Tibbetts from Good Morning America. That would have been Wednesday night before she went jogging. Uh, we were just having conversations on and off through text and Snapchat and that was about all. It, was, it seemed like a totally normal night. It seemed like a totally normal night, and, and then she went on a run, right? Walk us through what you know about those, those final moments that we heard or saw her. Um, I don't know a whole lot. The investigators are keeping pretty tight-lipped for good reason, you know, to not compromise the investigation by putting anything out there that doesn't need to be out there. Hmm. That struck me as unusual. Now, detectives, they're not going to share... They're not going to share information on the case with anyone who may have anything to do with it. It's unusual, though, that the father is also being kept in the dark, the father and the boyfriend. And I believe the reason they're doing that is because if they shared information with the father the boy, and not the boyfriend, the boyfriend would know that he was a suspect, mm-hmm. that he was being treated differently than Molly's other loved ones, and that would raise his hairs, and that would keep him quiet, and that would prevent him from doing whatever they hope to catch him doing. Absolutely. Dalton, when 
you, when people are watching and hearing you right now, you must have a message for them. Anyone who might have any idea where Molly is, what would you want to say to them right now? What do they need to know at this moment? Well, obviously call the tip line in. Just try to put yourself in our shoes. What if somebody had taken somebody that you love so much and just have the courage to come forward and uh, give the information to the police. And again, you can call Crime Stoppers and they will put it forward to them and it'll be completely anonymous. So there's no really need to keep that to yourself. It struck it's me that. It's so weird. That's also, it struck he, me that they're talking about it in a way that it's clear that someone knows something, it, yes. is, is the way they believe it. Now, I don't, I don't know. There, I mean, like we were saying earlier, this is a tiny town. This Brooklyn, Iowa place is 14, 1,500 people. And uh, somebody who is known around the community like like Molly is and this guy is, I, you don't you don't live in a town that small and not know everybody's business or at least have an idea of everybody's business. Yes, absolutely. Now, I don't know this kid, Dalton Jack, but he, doing these interviews, has no expression on his face. Nothing there. You don't do a lot of crazy faces with with your face. Mm-hmm. You know, you I can't I, I cannot you. read your feelings looking at your face. But I would believe that if your girlfriend of three years was missing and you're moving into the third week and you haven't eaten or slept because that's what doesn't happen when your love is disappearing or disappeared. Yeah. You would have expressions. You you would be able to tell feelings. You can't with this guy at all. And what was telling to me is the Des Moines Register sat down the boyfriend and Molly's father side by side in chairs. And they did an interview. And while the father's talking, and we'll, we'll play it for you, you can hear the boyfriend breathing. And there's certain points of the interview where his breathing is weird. It gets heavier. <laughs> yeah. It, this is dad talking. And in the background, the breathing that you hear is, is Dalton. In a community like Brooklyn, somebody knows something. They saw something. They saw something at a place, even the most trivial thing. And they're reluctant to come forward because it is trivial. It's just weird. It goes on. It kind of trails off and it's not as audible, but... Just this odd pattern that this guy has. Now, I, I want to be clear. I'm not rooting for the I'm not rooting for the boyfriend to be the suspect here, and I'm not rooting for this to be uh, a good Dateline episode. Although it would make a fantastic Dateline. No, episode. but uh, any investigator will tell you that the most likely suspect is somebody who knows her. Yeah, somebody close to her, especially a girl of that age. You know, it's not like a six or eight year old, 10 year old or something like that, that would be physically easier to control. If there was an outsider, somebody would have seen something. Okay. That's the thing. If there was somebody who's not usually in that town of 1500, somebody's going to call it in. But if there's somebody who's there, i.e. the boyfriend and is always there, that's not something unusual. There's a couple of recent... um, media examples of this that are that kind of resonate in my head when I when we're talking about this small town in Iowa and we're talking about the feds coming in and over you know taking over the case from the local county sheriff 
Not that they're incapable, but maybe it's just the the FBI and the state have better resources to look for Molly. It reminded me of three billboards in Ebbing, outside Ebbing, Missouri. And it reminds me of the show that's currently on HBO called Sharp Objects, where you have outside investigators coming in and looking into what was being handled at that time at a local local level. I know that they're fiction. I, I, I get it. I mean, I don't need to be reminded of that. But just the idea of the the different themes that are at play while you're searching for this girl. I think that we're on to something with the idea that they don't want the boyfriend to know that they are looking at him, that they want him to think that they believe his timeline of being away at that construction job. Because if he says he left for the construction job at 8 a.m. and he really left at 2 p.m., they can go ahead and do some digging at wherever town the construction job is in and find out if he was lying. Yeah. Here's him wrapping up the interview on Good Morning America. Molly's family had a message for anyone who, who may have been her abductor. Do you? Just everybody has a Molly, a person that has um, changed your life in such a huge way, and that's in everybody's lives. Just Im imagine if somebody had taken your Molly, put yourself in our shoes. You would do anything to get her back, and you would just be desperate for anything to come forward to get her back. Well, we are thinking of you. We are thinking of Molly. Mm, they go on and say their goodbyes. Hey, would you play the part uh, where they ask the father, or the father's talking about people coming forward? It was a weird phrasing that the fa this is when the father's sitting side by side with the boyfriend, and there's just weird phrasing that he uses that it almost seemed like. And this is in my conspiracy theory mind, <laughs> almost seemed like a message to the boyfriend, like, hey, if you had anything to do with this, you better speak up. The only reason to do these interviews is to keep the story in the public conscience so that somebody will come forward. Um, we're convinced that in a community like Brooklyn, somebody knows something, they saw something, they saw something at a place even the most trivial thing, and they're reluctant to come forward because it is trivial. But I think there's also a possibility that someone is suspicious of a loved one, someone in their family this or part? a friend that isn't yes. acting quite right, or they suspect that had something to do with this, in the breathing. but they're reluctant to come forward. But what I would say to them is if they have nothing to hide, they have nothing to fear, Eerie, isn't it? Yeah, this is going to be uh, it's going to be an interesting weekend. I think this doesn't go on for much longer. I mean, it, this is getting enough publicity. There's enough people who have seen her face uh, that we, that we start to see some of this stuff fall into place. Hopefully, in the next couple of it's already five thirty. You believe that? Where the hell did the show go? I don't know. What about the naked desk? Oh, what did you do? Oh. You forgot the naked desk. I was looking forward to that the whole show. You know, no, it's almost over. I'll find a naked story for the end of the show for you, Deborah. Awesome. Okay. I used to do the same thing with John and Ken. I would get so excited for the naked desk. Yeah. It's fun. It is fun. Right? You guys are <laughs> sick. I know. We are a strange breed. They do Ooh, it to us. I guess. Exactly. I guess. We That's used to right. be normal. We used to be, yeah. <laughs> Deborah used to eat meat and everything. Oh. Yeah, until I came here. <laughs>
<laughs> All right, Gary and Shannon in for no, John and Ken. I don't need anything that wears diapers. Deborah. Oh, that's, that's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> What's up? Gary and Shannon in for uh, John and Ken today on this Friday. With a half an hour left in the show. And I guess Deborah was trying to push the naked desk back down the hallway, but I told her, don't worry about it. We are going to do a little naked desk coming up. Yep, coming up at about 5.50, we will bring you naked news, and we will trot out that naked. Did somebody at least clean it? Mm. Tony says he doesn't know. Uh, I don't even well, know. Whose job is that to clean that thing? Uh, the, the stories that we've been uh, covering today, the Turpins were back in court in their child abuse case, but all, it really wasn't much. I mean, they just had an arraignment continued until uh, I think it's August 31st. There was uh, The judge did make a decision to allow the kids to get some of their IDs back and also uh, birth certificates, I believe, and a camera that was important so that the not sure what they would need with a camera, but maybe there's something more important than we can think of you and I having a connection to a camera. Trump administration is staffing up a Middle East team at the White House. This is ahead of what's been a largely mysterious Israeli-Palestinian peace plan. Apparently, we're going to hear about that in the coming months. That's Jared's work, isn't it? Yes. It's all Dimples Kushner and his work. All right, it's time for Mo on the Movies. Welcome to... Mo on the movies. Oh, Red. Don't be ridiculous, darling. It's Mo on the movies. Kiss me. Not a chance. Mo Kelly, you hear Mo Kelly on the very aptly titled Mo Kelly Show weekends, right here on KFI. This is a weird time to see it, man. Yeah, it is. It just seems. It just it's <laughs> off. The lighting is off. Yeah. The sun is in the wrong spot. Usually I'd go to lunch after this, but not so much. Well, luckily we're not negotiating an Israeli-Palestinian peace plan. We're just talking about movies. So we should all be okay. (laughs) Um, We have a bunch that are coming out this weekend. Uh, Did you get a chance yet to see Mission Impossible? No, I'm actually going to see that and Christopher Robin tomorrow. Oh, good. I have actually a little time in the day to see them. (laughs) Well, we do have, uh, we'll get to Christopher Robin Robin, because I think that's going to be the biggest one of the weekend. Um, there is a, a movie that's going wide that I've seen some fantastic reviews on. We actually talked about it a little bit last month. It's called Eighth Grade, about the teenage girl trying to survive her last week of her disastrous eighth, disastrous eighth grade year before she leaves to start high school. Um, school Shows about, movies about school time can be hit or miss. And I think this one is hitting all of the right notes because it is so absolutely emotionally perfect. What is the rating on this? Uh, it depends on what you. Uh, I can check. Well, because I read it's a high. An I know op- that opinion piece about kids that are in eighth grade can't go see this movie, and it's a shame. Because. Because they a, should. It's on on Rotten Tomatoes. It's got a ninety eight percent. To give you an idea. Yeah. It's interesting you say that, Gary, because similarly, um, an author you might recognize by the name of Judy Bloom, yeah, who did Tales of Fourth Grade Nothing, she announced on Twitter this week that she's going to do movies of her books. Wow. I loved those. So it's either going to be Tales for Fourth Grade Nothing, talking about going back to school, or Their Goddess Margaret. What is the name of it? Uh, yeah. Margaret is, is Their Goddess Margaret. Is Are you Their Goddess yeah. Margaret? Yeah. yeah. Um, and then, did she do Ramona Quimby? No, yes. that was it. Was it? I think so. Okay. Um, I mean, all of those, those so, are. Yeah. 
When I'm asking about the rating, though, I meant like, is it R or is it PG-13? Oh, eighth grade is an R-rated movie. Okay, yeah. yeah. And so the the article was about how it's a shame that kids that are going through this or whatever she's going through can't go see the movie. And well, of course they can. Isn't that the irony the parents, of it, though? The parents take them. The irony is eighth graders live in an R-rated world, Yeah, but they're not allowed to go see R-rated movies. So true. So true. What's wrong with us? <laughs> and there's the whole movie right there. Right. <laughs> That's, That's it. Um, if you like comedies and if you like action and you like Kate McKinnon, then The Spy Who Dumped Me is coming out. Uh, any thoughts before we I'm play in. our clip No, on seriously. Uh, I like Kate McKinnon's yes. comedy, her physical comedy, the way that she can contort her face, the way that she can make jokes with just her eyes. Yes. Uh, I'm all in. Uh, Audrey and Morgan, best friends who become entangled in an international conspiracy. One of the women discovers the boyfriend who dumped her was actually an international spy. Okay, Drew said that if we don't deliver this package, a lot of people are going to die. What if we don't do it and then there's like a terrorist attack or something? Well, what did he say to do? We have to get it to a cafe in Vienna. Austria? Vienna? Yes, that's what he said. Okay, well, why don't we do that then? Do what? Go to Europe when a bunch of people are trying to kill us? Do you want to die having never been to Europe? Or do you want to go to Europe and die having been to Europe? Why are those my only two options? Uh, this could be fun. Mm. Me? Mm. Me? I've heard I agree with you about, about Kate McKinnon, but um, if that it was wasn't the, the best trailer, clip. no, oh, okay. it wasn't the best clip. Okay. No, it's also there's some good action in it and should be fun. Uh, Darkest Minds is fascinating. Imprisoned by an adult world that now fears everyone under 18, a group of teens form a resistance group to fight back and reclaim control of their future. I A A S. Nearly 90 percent of the country's children are. Idiopathic Adolescent Acute Neurodegeneration, or IAAS. Nearly 90% of the country's children are now dead. Survivors of the virus develop side effects, or what some are calling powers. Unexplained incidents involving surviving children continue to pour in from across the country. We now go live to President Gray. I am speaking today as a parent. We'll find a cure and save our children. Okay, uh, beside the bad editing in the clip there, there's uh, Bradley Whitford playing the governor. I'm sorry, the, the president. When I saw this, these clips that I've watched in this, there's a twist at the end where I'm assuming the parents or the adults are the bad people who've tried to kill off the children. Yes. It reminded me, because Bradley Whitford was in Get Out, it reminded me of that, that this guy who seems to be this pleasant, happy-go-lucky guy ends up being the most evil in the entire movie. Doesn't this remind you of, like, the X-Men? Yeah, that, yes. Like mutants and the whole idea that yeah. these, they have powers. And- yeah, the, the part about it is that these the ones who survive the virus, basically, that, that implanted into the children, they end up with these weird powers, however they want to refer to them. Um, Mandy Moore is in this. Gwendolyn Christie is in this. And like I said, Bradley Whitford. Christopher Robin, though, is getting all the play this week. What? Who is Christopher Robin and what's his relationship with Winnie the Pooh? You... Didn't you're read not any of the serious, books, right? You didn't see any of the cartoons. You didn't see. I believe I probably uh, had some Winnie the Pooh books. Winnie the Pooh. Uh, but Winnie I wasn't a big Pooh. Winnie the Pooh enthusiast. Let me set this up for you. Oh my goodness! Oh, there's a pot of honey somewhere. <laughs> there is a pot of honey. Yes. Uh, do you remember the the Robin Williams version of Peter Pan? Yes. Where Peter grows up, forgets everything. I'm assuming this is similar to that. Okay. Okay. So Christopher Robin is a working class family man. Right. And he's struggling in life. And, and then re- 
remembers, or I guess is you could say reintroduced to his friend, his childhood friend, Winnie the Pooh. This can't be happening. Oh, stress. It's not stress. Come on, I'm stressed. It's Pooh. So exhausted. Evelyn warned me. I like to be warmed. Warmed and cozy. I've cracked. I've totally cracked. I don't see any cracks. A few wrinkles, maybe. Obviously questioning his own sanity because so his the bear teddy talks. bear is talk. Yes. Hold on a second. Are you serious? You don't know what Winnie the Pooh is? This is I not Ted watched. 3, okay? Yeah. Don't, don't even try <laughs> I it. I love the Ted movies. Wait, okay, is, are you joking or being serious right now? You don't know anything about Winnie the Pooh. Well, I remember uh, maybe a book or two. I never watched the cartoon. Tigger? I know that he has Tigger and Eeyore and uh, there's the pot of honey. That's that's all I got. I wasn't big into make-believe Nothing? at that point. Piglet in the half shirt. <laughs> <laughs> the, the graphics on this look amazing. The, the the CGI to get the animals. Yeah, know. I don't think they could have done this five, ten years ago. No. No. This is and Ewan McGregor is, I think, one of the understated masters at what he does. I'm actually surprised they did this as a period piece because if you know the book, it was first written, I think like nineteen twenty six. So it's set along that timeline. Hmm. And um I think it's set like maybe in the forties or something like that. And I'm surprised that they did not try to do a contemporary version of it. They took it all the way back to the beginning. Uh, Haley Atwell is in this. You remember her, of course, from all of the... Peggy uh, Carter. Yeah, all of the Avenger stuff and Captain America. So, uh, Awesome. What do you have coming up on your show this weekend? Well, the Democrats are in trouble. The Democrats are in trouble. Tony Podesta and friends. Uh, Mr. Mueller, he's recommended them to be handled by other prosecutors in the Ooh. Southern District of New York. We have an update on Space Force. Looking forward to that. <laughs> And the war rages on between the media and the president. And please do not uh, wash and reuse condoms. Oh, for the love of God. Did you say please don't? Please don't. I can't make people not do it. Who's doing that? I guess that's a good point. Apparently a lot of people, if the warning's out. Enough people that they have to put a warning out. Is this a millennial thing? Time out. Just a quick note. They will not allow Winnie the Pooh to be um, released in China. Oh, because Winnie the Pooh doesn't like communism or something? Um, Winnie the Pooh on social media has been a symbol of the resistance in China with foes of the ruling Communist Party. Who knew? Interesting. (laughs) Who knew? That's who. (laughs) All right, Mo Kelly, thank you very much. See you soon. All right, uh, tomorrow night's uh, Mo Kelly show starts at 6 o'clock and then on Sunday night as well. We'll come back to the John and Ken show. The Naked Desk. Yeah! Oh, my gosh. Is that the Naked Desk? Yep. Oh, we're going to need a towel. Deborah has the latest. A towel? Oh, I don't know what that is. Well, the girl was naked. She's walking around naked. I think I'm watching some Charlie Sheen show or something. She's got no clothes on. She's naked. And she white, black, or his She's naked. She's laying on the garage floor naked. She's in the garage on the floor, laying on the floor naked. With her naked body looking right at George. Then she said to me, take off your clothes. So I took off my underwear so I was naked there. You were nude too, right? And at that point, I took off my clothes. I was like, no way, he's not naked. He's naked. Naked and in front of a crowd. And now, an update from the John and Ken Naked Desk. (laughs) Here's John and Ken. (laughs) Oh, I love the Naked Desk. I remember that phone call. He kept saying, and he's naked. And he's naked. (laughs) 
somewhere in a part of the country where it's not normal to walk into someone's house naked. Around are, here, are that's a Tuesday. Pa- is it really? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, Jody. So uh, you were going to surprise me. We we have independently researched nudity on the Internet. Yes, we have. Uh, this, and it's a dangerous road to go down. This is a brief story. It yeah. comes to us from get Self. It? Briefs? Yeah, I get it. Got it. You don't think I know what I'm doing over here? Mm-hmm. This is from Self Magazine, and it's written by a woman who says that she has suffered from body issues her whole life. Okay. You know, it's hard for me to remember a time I wasn't on some sort of diet. Um, I've always been trying to change the way that my body looks. Uh, I always saw my body as a collection of weird, gross parts that I hated. And this is just a struggle she's had. So she's found a cure, a rescue to her body image issues. Potatoes? Potatoes? Well, those can be comforting. Sure. But no. What would you say her, uh, what do you think it is, Deborah? What has helped her overcome? She now doesn't worry about the way she looks. She loves her body. Burka. No. Sex. Close. She posts naked pictures of herself on Instagram. <laughs> she what? can't stop. She says it's so freeing. It's totally I... helped her love her body. She shares them with strangers, public profile, and she just loves it. Not she says, cold. instead of trying to shrink myself so I almost don't exist, I started making people look at me. She took control of her nakedness and is spreading it. Spreading it? Mm-hmm. Wow. Full nakeds? I didn't think they allowed that on uh, the Instagram. Well, she's doing the naked like this. So, like, she's putting her, like, leg up. So wow. Like that. that. Thank you. So it's, like, hiding all <laughs> You could have just said she was sitting in a way. Can you imagine? <laughs> I would be so embarrassed to ever do anything like that. Oh. What, no if, you, what if they didn't way. show your face? I mean, no, obviously, no, still, just in case somebody figured it out, no way. No. Oh, Shannon, no way. Hell no. Yeah. I'd rather have body issues my whole life. <laughs> Me too. I'd never be posting naked <laughs> pics. Posted naked pictures? Yeah. Or e- even a even a bathing suit picture. Oh god, oh. no. Didn't know that Conway. Hey, hey, look at you guys, man. Dig dog. I love your bathing suit yeah. pictures. Thank you very much. I have a picture of me with a bunch of trophies when I was about nine or ten in my underwear. And I'm always thinking to myself, hmm, I wonder what crazy guys are looking at that. <laughs> I don't know. You know, I always think about that. I'm like, well, I'm going to put a guy's uh, nude looking at my uh, picture when I was, uh, you know, with the trophies. There's hmm. probably a guy that worked at that photo mat that still has it. <laughs> right. Oh, like that creepy guy that uh, that Robin Williams played? Yeah, in that one. one hour photo. One hour photo. That's the only place where you can't bring your daughter or son to work on Bring Your Kids to Work. Because it's too small, right? Those little photo booths. The little, ho- the little homes. <laughs> little driving yeah. photo booths. They can stay outside, right? I mean, <laughs> he's got to stand outside. Yeah. And you don't want your kids to see all the weird pictures of everybody. Well, yeah, that I suppose. Naked but Conway and his trophies. That is true. All right, Julia Roberts says "Pretty Woman," the musical on Broadway. Uh, no. Twenty years after uh, playing uh, Vivian, tops one million. In a seven-show week. That's unbelievable. She's going to play the prostitute? I guess so. And that's really weird now, you know, because of the pound me too. And it, and hashtag, I think they call it hashtag now. <laughs> what? It's it's a, the symbol. Is that what you're, this thing? Yeah. Da, da. yeah. I think that's called um, hashtag. Oh. Yeah. Oh, I see. I mean, oh, if, yeah, you're, yeah. If, you're, if you're calling 
me too on the phone, then you'd hit pound me ah. too. <laughs> oh, I see. Okay. But it's a hashtag on the I always thought, because I always look at that. I'm like, wow, that's odd. Yeah. You know? Like, hey, not enough a, of this. Pound me too. Yeah. <laughs> not exactly the message that they're going for. Yeah. No, but it was a very funny comedian that uh, came up with that. And I, nobody realized it before, right? It went a whole year. And like, I'm like, oh, because that's, that was uh, the, the symbol when we were growing up. Right. You know? Yeah. And before that, what was it uh, the, for the number si- right. sign? Yeah. You know, like when you're number one with the foam finger, sure. it was the number <laughs> one. <laughs> All right. Uh, a parasite found in a McDonald's salad sickens about 400 people. That's uh, bad news. Why are they all eating the same salad? I don't know. But this is, uh, how about the Santa Clara County office? They won the $543 Bastards. million. Dollars. But see. They stole our money. They shouldn't be allowed, allowed to play, right? That's the that's the state's money. They work for the county, which essentially they work for the state. They work oh, for the they, government. Wait a minute. They work for the county? I thought it was just where they work. No, I think, oh. they, I think they're county workers. Well, in that case, I'm fully because, on look, board with you. You can't win anything that's given out here right right yeah. and the state's involved with the lottery i say we sue him call sweet james call james <laughs> let's get him on the case <laughs> uh and then the animal shelters are at max man oh so. you gotta get some more animals in that house yeah <laughs> come on I got conway. four animals Do conway. your part. conway's gonna clear out the shelter all by himself but now you're uh you know you're sol if you're like a dog just buzzing around you're like oh wait i'm going to the shelter and it says uh you know uh, no vacancy no vacancy yeah you go right right to the you go right to the busy room no hot meal for you <laughs> yeah. uh free movie friday for Let's out go. of tickets don't forget you can win a pair of tickets when you text the word reporter to atom one a-t-o-m and the number one Ding adam tickets dog. app is Ding very dog. cool just download the Adam Tickets app, standard text message rate supply, et cetera, et cetera. This is Ooh. my favorite crosstalk I know. of oh, the day on please. KFI when we're not please. here, when John and Ken are here. Are you going to, anyone going to Del Mar this weekend? Anybody? anybody? Del no, Mar? Oh, no. I'm going man. to a lesbian bachelorette party in San Diego. By the way. A strip Ooh. club is on the docket. Do we go really? to a female strip club or a male strip club? Wow. We're going to break it down next week. On the Gary and Shannon Show. <laughs> Conway's up next. We'll see you Monday. Stay dry, everybody. That's it. That's it. That is it. Gary and Shannon.